You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM. You're listening to um, the, I guess, a very special show tonight. Um, as you know, many weekends we've been having the show along with. <laughs> so we, we, we've, got, we've got the troublemakers in studio already, man. So we'll get, we'll make a move. Uh, we'll get a start and introduce everyone. So tonight, although we've called it, let's talk about life. Tonight is the night before Eid for many people. So firstly, Eid Mubarak to you all. Um, and if you do want to tune in uh, and actually watch some of the antics going on in the studio, um, if you go across to. Um, actually our Facebook page um, but it's a slightly different one tonight so if you go to McMuslim TV that's M-C-M-U-S-L-I-M TV, search for that um, we're on Facebook live there uh, so McMuslim TV you can tune in and watch some of the antics going on in the studio and we've got a bit of a blast from the past and we've got other guests joining us um, but this is an interactive show so we do want you to call in many of the weekends where we've been discussing quite serious and heavy topics with Sheikh Amr on the Cradle to the Grave series um, just due to limited time uh, as we've tried to keep the focus uh, you know discussions focused so we haven't been able to take callers live but tonight it's a bit of a free-for-all Dr. Nadeem Bhatti. Assalamualaikum Nadeem. How are you? Not bad, Hamda. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to be in. I know. Thanks for calling me in. You were, and, and we should tell people, you were supposed to join me in the show. <laughs> yes. The you pulled yes. Out. I pulled out. I thought, what am I going to add to this? <laughs> what can I actually say? I did another show called Journey to Success, right. which was just a kind of uh, interview show. And um, I think that was enough for me this year. That, but that was, um, the, it was a good experience. But I thought we nice. need to get you in the studio. So Thank you. Um, Nadim, eat tomorrow or Monday? Inshallah, tomorrow. Okay, okay. And uh, our next guest is probably, it's, it's a bit ironic because when I interviewed him, he told me <laughs> he was the first ever voice in Radio Ramadan. So this was the last. Big, big <laughs> <laughs> if if Ofcom are listening, name it may well be the last. But it's um, Big Papa. Other names, you've got various other names, but Naim Raza. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Really nice to have you in. I know you've been um, travelling a lot honestly, as well. Honestly, I don't think I've been in the studio for at least six, seven years, yeah. minimum. I think prior to that, at least, you know, yeah, it's been about a good few years since I've actually sat here. I know you came to interview me at the house, yeah. uh, so it's rather strange. Yeah. <laughs> but fantastic. You used to normally dim the lights, by the way, and make it look really, you know, twilight zone. Kind of no, no. I like to see you. The white of your eyes, now. Yeah, that's that's the nude from my face. I don't know where the whites are. But that's okay. And Sheikh Amr's joining us. Uh, I think there's actually a problem on the motorway. I think he's just waiting to see the tone of the program and then just <laughs> yeah. to save his reputation. It's been an accident. <laughs> Have to go back. But it's interesting because uh, I was just hearing from uh, like. Albert Drive there's mm-hmm. chock-a-block and there's cars up and down I and thought the, the police were down there tonight <laughs> from about 4 o'clock onwards yeah. patrolling the whole the, you know, people that are driving by were shooting videos so somebody must have said an eat tonight mm, <laughs> so absolutely. get out there so exactly and uh, Brother Umran Amin is also joining us inshallah so um, firstly let's do a bit of introductions Let, let's hear a bit about who you all are and I don't know who wants to start Mm. Everyone suddenly looked down, like avoiding eye well, contact. Let's go with yourself, Rubies. Um, so what would you, like, what would you Rubies, like to know about me? Tell us a bit about yourself and um, who you are, what you do, involvement okay. with Radio Ramadan. Um, so yeah, my name is Ramiz Mahmoud. I'm 22. I work as a software engineer. So I graduated last year from Strathclyde University. Currently work for Sky as a software engineer doing my grad scheme. Uh, my involvement in Radio Ramadan began around three years ago, where Brother Shaka asked me to do an iftar show once a week, and every week he said, "Listen, here's your." 
guest this week, here's your topic. I'd go, so there's no need to prepare, you've got a guest. I'd walk in and then about five minutes before each show, the guest wouldn't turn up. Um, so I'd had to come up with my own show and I think they liked how I was able to come up with stuff on the spot. Offered me drive time last year and then I did it again this year. So that's my Radio Ramadan journey. And, you, and that, that's one of the most popular shows. You get a lot of callers, yeah. you've got this great guest of sound um, and also you've got a competition Yeah. and you, you've got two of the other brothers... Uh, Amar and Delias, yeah, Delias. so we're a good, good trio. And you know what scared me recently? You did a tie break, and you said the tie break was what year was I born? Uh, guys, guess what year Ramiz was born? I mean, I did say my age, so if you are listening, you should be able to work <laughs> out. But yeah, he, he said, and then also I'd like to know how old you were in that that year. <laughs> well. Well, well, that's what made me feel real. He said I was born in nineteen ninety five. Ninety-five. <laughs> oh Ninety-five, yes. So, so I think Radio Ramadan started in ninety-six, was it the name? And yeah, I'm a year older than Radio Ramadan. Yeah, yeah. At that stage, I'd have spent more years on Earth than he spent now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that made me feel really old as well, because I thought, wow, you know, somebody's born in the nineties. So, Masha, <laughs> so, um, you know, I think a lot of your passion, your youth, and you're obviously great on radio as well, uh, and the show from all the brothers. And you've been out sort of delivering a lot of cakes and stuff. You do. A yeah, lot we have. The... We did our final delivery today. Um, our Islamic Leaf are our show's sponsor. I think they alone today had around 600 cakes in Scotland to deliver. So very popular. Our show as a whole had, you know, loads as well. Did you, did you get all the leftovers, no? No, unfortunately, I didn't get any cake this whole Ramadan. Oof. So if anyone is listening and has any cake, we're on 70 <laughs> Coplo Street. Uh, please do feel free to bring some in. Fantastic. Jazakallah Thank you, Ramiz, for coming along. Um, and you and know what? That might just happen. Because I remember the years I was on here. And you said, you know, I really fancy a pizza. And right enough, somebody will bring <laughs> boxes of pizzas. Yes. And you're like... Yeah. <laughs> well, I like caviar, but I don't think anybody's going to bring me any of that. Actually, I've, I've had this. Let's call up for anybody out there with caviar. Actually, I've never had caviar, but name you. You, you hang about with these rich and famous people. I've had, you, you, I, think, I think you know what? I think I might have had a spoon once. I've had it. It's Did not. You? It's not up to much. It's not up to much. If anybody's out there got caviar, bring it through. Let's try it. <laughs> but I have had a craving for croissant for some strange reason. I don't know why this Ramadan. Yeah, you know, it's a crazy croissant. I don't know what it is. Do you know, a couple it. of nights ago, I was in London and I'm at my yeah. aunt's house, and she gave me a croissant to take home. Yeah. She said, "Have this for breakfast. Heat it up for ten seconds. I'll tell you, it's the best I've ever had in the world. It's from a shop in Chichester. Yeah. And it's a layers of." Yeah. You know, right, not really get croissant, it's really hollow in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was just phenomenal. I'm trying to find the name of the shop. Well, you know, you know why it is, Nadim, you want croissants? Because you're so, such a spiritual booster in Ramadan. Yes. And the croissant is the shape of a crescent. The crescent. It. So you started to want Muslim food as well, innit? Mind you, you know, uh, what I've heard, I had another <laughs> story, story behind it. I, I know. You know, well, you know, this, what, you want to tell the story? or The story is the Spanish Inquisition, isn't it? Yeah. It's to do something along that line. Nadim, you tell us the story. Well, the French thingy. Well, I heard the story was is when the Turks were going to yeah, yeah, yeah. get into Vienna and they were repelled at the gates. So the people in celebration actually made these croissants, made these croissants in the shape of a crescent yeah, and yeah. ate them. Is that actually true? <laughs> then been very, that's why I used to hear a lot. I'd be interested to hear some of those stories tonight. The conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> we should have got my friend Sammy on. He's very big into yeah, all that. Yeah, if he's listening in, Sammy, you need to phone in and tell us some of those uh, conspiracy like theories. April Fool's Day. Oh, yeah. There's a big conspiracy theory about that meme. Yeah, it's haram to say oh, yes. April Fool's Day because... Croissant. Uh, because, yeah, people killed Muslims with croissants or something like that. They killed them with croissants. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but overeating. <laughs> I, like I like that. that. I definitely I like that. Now. There's definitely a connection. So, Nadim, mm. tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm uh, Nadim Tajbarti, and uh, I'm a GP, and Nadeem I work. What? In, 
Nadeem Taj Party. Oh, the Taj Party. Taj is really important. The Taj is like, I don't know why I started. It's only since I've done this Journey to Success program. Midlife I started crisis. putting the Taj in, in the middle. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's something. I don't know why I've been putting the Taj in for some odd reason. Um, and how do you pronounce, patients pronounce your surname? Oh, I've had everything. Bati. But Bati Batu uh, <laughs> uh, Second one Fatty Bati uh, That was a school Is that your school bully? That was a school Yeah Before I was getting My face pummeled By the school bully <laughs> Fatty Bati There you go <laughs> Take that And, like, and what's the Desi pronunciation? Parti Yeah Parti Well I don't know Parti I'll just, Sometimes just Parti Which is uh, I quite like actually <laughs> So, 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 we, so got, we got as far as your name. And my so, name, yes. You're a, de- you're my a doctor. My name. Oh, oh, I forget. Remember, I remember they had that program years ago. Uh, it, it, it lasted the summer wine, and there was Nora Batty in it. Oh, oh my goodness! I had such a hard time for that name. Nora but uh, Nora Batty, Nora Batty, right? Nora Batty. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm a GP. I'm in uh, the West Are End of Glasgow. Are you a GP or a PhD doc? I'm a, no, I'm a proper doctor. I'm a proper doctor. Uh, so I'm a GP. And uh, yeah, and I, my actually, funny enough, I don't have a huge connection with Radio Ramadan. But uh, I remember when Radio Ramadan first started. And I think you obviously started. I was in London at the time. And I phoned up Glasgow. And I used to phone back to see how my dad was. And my dad was so excited that year. And he goes, well, what's going on? He goes, oh, the radio show is very enjoyable, very enjoyable. And actually, he mentioned you, Naim. And he said, oh, you're doing a lot of work, you know, you're doing a lot of work, you know. And so, I, and I remember, Did I thought... Did he say, if only you were like Naim? If only were like, oh, <laughs> I, I got that. If I like Naim. <laughs> Does, I think everybody that went to uni gets that. Uh, you know, I got that from everyone. Ramiz, did you get any of that? Uh, thankfully, I've not had any of that yet. No, no, no you've been no. alright. My parents don't want me to be like nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Alhamdulillah, that was it. I was in London, and I remember good memories of that. Of when Radio Ramadan started, and it was like a real impact. Like, what? What is this? This is. And I, I came up going, what is this? What's this Radio Ramadan? What's going on up there? So Alhamdulillah, I think it was, was it somebody got me involved about five, six years ago. Um, I think it was Amjad and, uh, or somebody else on one of the Twilight programs. I'm sure you were still Twilight on. Zone. Twilight Zone, yeah. I'm sure you were still involved. Shock Yeah. And uh, I had a great time. You know, I thought this is really yeah, good fun. Excellent. So... Thank you. So, and, and another guest has joined us in studios, Umran, who's been a big regular for our weekends. But Salam Umran, you're coming a wee bit late. But which day are you? Have you decided about which day? He's getting his put on for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just sorting my hair out. Uh, no, I'm going to be celebrating tomorrow, Sunday, inshallah. No, I'm very sure. No, I'm very sure. The Nigerian Fatwa Council has also cited. So <laughs> Was that Prince Alagoui? He also said, spent, bring another £2,000 and a cheque. I saw that post today. What's that name? I saw the post from Nigeria. And they said that because they've shown a certificate that they've seen the moon, that everybody in Birmingham should change their stance of you know, celebrating Eid on Monday and doing Sunday instead. Of all the countries, I thought Nigeria, mashallah. Things are changing. Exactly. Um... And I guess we've got another guest who's come. 
I don't think the, Mal- the Maldives always late, but <laughs> we should uh, pay our respect. I, th- I think he was listening to the show on the way to think, where's it worth my while going? <laughs> <laughs> So, I'll say it's an accident. Sheikh Ahmed. how are you? Actually, that thought did uh, cross my mind. <laughs> but you got stuck on the motorway. There's uh, I got stuck. Traffic. I did actually get. Uh, is that, it's crazy. The 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 traffic. All the e traffic. The traffic on the road. It's like as if it's like. Oh, you know what else? Stone evening. Roses were playing at Hamden today. Really? Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I don't know if anybody knows who they are, but they're a big band. <laughs> so Sheikh, um, Assalamualaikum, welcome. I was asking for declaration of interest, so Eid tomorrow or a Monday for you? It's one of the two, isn't it? Oh, you're not, are you not committing yourself? <laughs> well, a uh, couple of years ago, when there was uh, a split, I think after many years there was a split in Glasgow, and obviously people were asking, should we do this, should we do that? And I realised that um, whatever I say could have an influence on quite a lot of people, especially my students. So I didn't want to put them in a predicament where um, they're going against their family or something like that. So I just basically gave simple advice. I said, look, this is something that scholars are differed on, so just you go with your local mosque or go with your family, whatever. So I'm quite, I'm quite flexible on these things. So my po- since then, my policy was, if there's a split, then I won't uh, declare what I'm doing, just in case it puts... If somebody sees you at a mosque tomorrow... Alhamdulillah, you, you, the thing is, I could be praying nothing in it. No, no, the you, day, you could be giving the khutbah one of the most tomorrow. That's true as well. <laughs> Actually, the other thing is Facebook Live, right? We're on Facebook Live, um, facebook.com, and if you go to Muslim TV, um, we're, we're streaming from that page today. If he's eating after Seri time, you'll know whether he's keeping, <laughs> keeping a fast or not. <laughs> But remember, offer him, offer him a tea at three. And everyone bring a cup of tea and a hot and a cake. So, remember, this is an interactive show, so do please give us a call if you want to get in touch or have got some comments or anything you wanted to say. Uh, today's a bit more of a light hearted show, a bit more unstructured. Our telephone number, Ramiz? Let's move this microphone in my way. It's 0141375 Absolutely, and you can uh, post some comments as well on Facebook Live and on our Facebook page. Um, but yeah, so let's get let's get going. So, one of the first things I asked each one of you to do is that we're going to ask each other a question, right? So I don't know if you any of you have prepared this. So I've got my question ready. Right. So what? Should I want you to what day are you need? <laughs> <laughs> so the the idea is that each guest asks each other guest a question. You can't all ask Sheikh Amr right questions. <laughs> or you have to ask each other. So who wants to get kick off first? Actually, I'll, I'll, can I kick off and I'll give you guys a bit of time to think and we'll do that throughout the show. So Ramiz, it's actually a question for you. The first I got, um, got to know you was um, the cycle to Syria that you did. Okay. Okay. Yep. And um, I think that was an amazing sort of thing. And the other thing that stood out for me was seeing name in Lycra in those mm. pictures. Which, <laughs> uh, uh, Very scarring. <laughs> which was quite traumatic for yes. me. So tell us a bit about what you, what you did. And what was the most memorable thing about that whole journey, that cycle to Syria? And, and um, that was a few yeah. years ago, you're still a student 2014, so yeah, I was still a student. Actually, we left the day after my last exam that year. Um, so me and my friend Hassan, we thought, okay, we want to do something about what's going on in Syria. It was 2014, so <coughs> a lot of people kind of knew what was going on, but a lot of people still didn't really know what was going on. So we thought, we need to do something that will not only raise charity, will raise money, but also raise awareness about it as well. Um, and as a joke, someone came up with the idea of cycling from Scotland to Syria. Um, so again at the start we treated it as a joke and then started looking more and more into it to see if it was actually possible and we 
then kind of went from there. We spoke to multiple different charities. Everyone kept on just laughing at us and turning <laughs> us down. Nine was the only person who actually thought we could possibly do this, so we worked on Human Appeal. And um, I think Nine will agree there's a lot of things that went wrong. Oh yeah, stuff that we just didn't anticipate because no one, no one had done anything like this before. We, we, we um, certainly had done anything like that before from human appeals perspective. We've done challenges, but nothing at this level. And uh, so it was a learning curve every day. We were picking something up. We want to do today. Yeah, um, like finding out where we're going to sleep that night. Um, one of the memorable things actually near the start, and nine was part of this memory as well. So we were in Buckinghamshire, I believe. And I'd actually sad fallen that day pretty badly. I was in hospital all day, cuts everywhere, couldn't cycle that day. And then as we were sleeping, we were camping, and it started raining really badly, and all the tents got flooded. So Naim actually slept in the toilet that night, I think, in the cubicles. (laughs) And a bunch of us just kind of did stuff like that and slept over there. Um, Other than that, I think the memories I suppose just yeah. kind of each border you go past yeah. is another kind of milestone um, I said you're a psychiatrist right so if you can work on trying to get the image of nine and like right out of my head I'd really appreciate that <laughs> and how much did you raise? we raised I don't know I mean, the figure was always going up I think I think At between least. them they managed to get it was 200 and something yeah wow. it's over 200,000 that's, number of different, that's so. phenomenal uh, just yeah, getting pages linked yeah. together from what I remember I and actually it reminded me a little bit about some of the elders in the team, you've been particularly involved in some of this work in terms of uh, the stories of our elders that you know mm-hmm. came from abroad and migrated here, and a lot of them used to drive back to Pakistan oh, yeah, and stuff, yeah, and actually absolutely. got a car. Uh, and so, in fact, I've done that. I did that in 1970. <laughs> sorry, 1973. Actually, we did that. We went from Glasgow to Pakistan. You were driving yourself. I was. <laughs> no, I had one of those red, yellow kind of buggies. No, we we, we had a Volkswagen. Uh, you know, one of these. In fact, the we had this Volkswagen van. Who's we? Uh, so my family. With your parents. And my something? parents. Yeah. So it was my dad, uh, me, a couple of cousins. And uh, the funny thing was we sent the women folk by air and then we decided to go by th- on, in this Volkswagen kind of camper van and the van that we had was like a green and white one. Uh, so it's quite appropriate for Pakistan and I've seen exactly the same van in now in the museum, at the transport <laughs> museum. Uh, so, really? uh, you know, so... But we went by road, and it was, I mean, it was amazing. I, I think I was seven at the time, and we went through Iran when it was still under the control of the Shah, and we went through Afghanistan with the roads and going through the mountains and everything. And then I only found out, uh, as a few years ago, I started doing a kind of thing for my kids, like a kind of life story autobiography, and I found my old passport, and I didn't realise that I'd actually been to Sarajevo. We'd actually mm-hmm. gone through, and I found it stamped. The passport was actually stamped, and the passport was actually one that had. I had a Pakistani passport as well, and it had Urdu and uh, Bengali uh, written there. And oh my God! So it's like a real. By the way, I'd recommend this. You know, if you go back over your life, and each year you write down the milestones that happened and put it together, suddenly all sorts of stuff was coming out. Um, so yeah, so we did yeah. that, and a lot of people did that in those mm-hmm. days, and it wasn't just that. Um, it wasn't just Pakistanis who did it let's face it we did it probably because we wanted to save money and you know it must have been quite expensive then to get an air ticket Uh, but a lot of Scots people did that and they called it the hippie trail and they did that from uh, Scotland all the way through to Australia and uh, so it was quite a common thing and a lot of these guys have met them since they've been you know they were going through Afghanistan and places like that and they they were quite you know they had a great time my dad's brother made that trip did he yeah that was uh, same kind of era actually 
it's early seventies. Yeah, it's quite yep. safe to travel in them. A lot of yeah. people were doing it in them mm. days. It's quite yep. safe to do it. Yeah. Um, obviously, you couldn't try that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that links in. Although it would be quite adventurous. And I'm just going to do, do a bit of a shameless plug, Nadim. Something you've been involved in with the uh, Colourful Heritage. They're doing an exhibition, oh, yeah. and um, they're launching actually an exhibition, um, uh, which is like at the Scotland Street Museum, yeah. uh, and it's launching on the 12th of July, along yes. with the Glasgow Museums. And I think you've provided some of the yes. images and yep. stuff. And yep. part of that is celebrating the the amazing stories of our elder generations Absolutely. from South Asian. Uh, um, subcontinent and coming to Scotland but Sheikh in one of the shows that you were interviewed uh, I think along with your wife you talked a bit about travel you used to travel quite a bit for Syria for like 20 quid and stuff to all these neighbouring <coughs> and oh. I think were, were you trying to say to your wife look this is an adventure we're going on or were you just trying to save money because <laughs> you travel quite a bit around yeah 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 so uh, I think like what Naim's saying it's, there's, there's an adventure to it as well so um, see the, I think that what happens a lot of the time people are afraid to go into the unknown, you know, people like to stay in the comfort zone. I always say to people, look, get get to Glasgow, right? All you've ever seen is the M8. There's more to life than the M8 and the Kingston Bridge, seriously. Uh, and the thing is, you're kind of afraid because that's all you've ever known. But you need to venture out if you want to really expand your horizons. And anyone who's travelled will know that. So, I mean, I was living in uh, in Syria um, for a number of years, and it was effectively a police state. So. You know, you're seeing what's happening in the news now, but I know the context of that because I lived there. I knew exactly what was going on. I knew what scholars were saying internally, and it was a it was a very different experience from being quote unquote in the free world, um, where you're allowed to say anything. I mean, there you could not say anything political. Uh, half the half the taxi guys were working for what's called the Mukhabarat, like the 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 the. The government secret service, Ser- secret service. So they strike up a, a conversation with you, but you know, you'd they'd come across very nosy, um, and they'd see they try and get your kind of opinions. And if you were anything politically inclined and said the wrong thing, you'd get reported. So we had to study in very difficult circumstances. I remember, I mean, one of my sheikhs who's who actually ended up getting killed by ISIS um, because he refu- refused to um, join them and he was refuting them. I remember when uh, um, he used to, when when I used to go to his house to study with him. Uh, sometimes he'd say, "Look, there's been a few people asking about, so what to do is phone me before you come." So I'd phone him and I'd say, "I'd say, Sheikh, uh, shall I bring breakfast today?" And that was our code: that should I come today wow. or should I not come today? I mean, these are the kind of circumstances we went through to to gain knowledge and bring it back to. The class one, and you have people that don't turn up to your classes, so you don't you don't <laughs> feel anybody particular. You don't, you don't feel uh, you, you know, and you, you just wish that people had an insight into some. Of the, I mean, Sheikh Rizwan, a very humble person, he will never tell you half of the things he went through. I was there when uh, he first got his first slip disc, and I went to visit him. Uh, I found out, and I went to visit him. It's basically it was, it was <laughs> you could call it a house, right? But it was more like a dungeon. It was really it was, it was basically a, it was like a basement. I remember when I visited him, there was a hole in the wall, and I said, "What's that?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, that's probably that's probably where we're going to put the the window." And he actually bought a window from the marketplace and put it in himself. So he was like, "I went to visit him, and he was lying on the ground, and uh, it was pitch dark, and all I could see was this lamp, and he had um, he had his books. He just had a big pile of books, and he was just reading these books on the floor." Oh, I said, "What happened to you?" He goes, "Oh, I've got a slip disc." So he was two weeks. He was like that. You know, these wow. are the kind of circumstances that, that people have gone through to gain knowledge. Um, so, 
Yeah, it was it was a very interesting um, time. You're in your twenties. You've got you've got little money, but you've got a lot of energy. Um, you've you've you're having to adapt to a different culture, different language. Mm. Um, I knew people, students. I knew people that went to prison. Uh, I remember there was one sister who was pregnant. She ended up in prison because she didn't have the pre- proper paperwork. So you're in a place which you're not you're you're not really used to. I remember once, and the thing is, you learn a lot of things. Well, my same teacher that got killed. I remember once I was saying, you know, Sheikh, you know, this country you can't say anything, you can't do this. I said, in our country, you know, we can we can we can insult the Queen, we can insult uh, politicians. And he said something really really interesting. He said, but he goes, is that what you should be doing? I said, what do you mean? He goes, just because it's permissible to do it, is there any benefit? Is there any benefit in cursing the leader? Sorry. And he really made me stop and I thought, actually, hold on. He goes, does it change the world by you cursing him? I said, no. He goes, what if you do, if what if you made dua for him? Is that not better? If you make dua for his guidance or that he changes his ways, and I learned, you know, you I learned a lesson, being in a completely different environment. So um, my wife joined me kind of halfway through it, and uh, like I said in the interview in the other day, uh, she she actually said herself that at the time when she married me, I've quite a few people try to put her off marrying marrying me. Uh, they obviously didn't realise what kind of fun guy I was, but um, I think it was just this idea that oh, you're going to marry a religious guy, you know, and he's going to be really strict, and he's going to stop you doing this, and he's going to stop you doing that, and he's got no money, and he's got no job, and you're probably yeah. going to end up in some mosque paying, getting paid uh, fifteen hundred a year. In fact, I actually got a text the other day, <laughs> which I shared amongst my scholarly friends. That was sort of Imam's post with fifteen grand was the salary, and that, I'm not joking. Anyway, um, so that, that was kind of a reality. That's but but I, I wanted to when I got married, I thought you know something, I'm going to show all these people wrong. I'm going to I'm going to show them that, that that they've got it completely wrong. That by marrying a student knowledge, in fact, your life will get enhanced. So she travelled with me. I mean, she got to go all over the world, got to learn a different language, different culture. We were in Syria. We we took a, a bus. To uh, uh, Turkey, it takes you 24 hours to get to Turkey. It was 15 pound, 15 pound all the way to Turkey, and then uh, the year after we went to Umrah, it was 26 hours from from Damascus to Mecca, 17 pound return. Oh. You know, so um, I, I couldn't do it now, right? <laughs> 26 hours, but at the time, you know, yeah, you're on the road, you're you're travelling through the desert, you're meeting people. I, I mean, I had this incident on the Jordanian border. Where uh, I was thinking at two in the morning or something, and guy sees my British passport and he goes, "Show us like, show us like." It basically means like, like you're not really British, right? Who, who, who what nationality are you? So uh, the then you pulled out your Pakistani passport. No, no, I decided, I decided I'm going to speak English because it's less hassle. I said, you know, as yes, I'm British and this and this and that. And he, he said to me, do you speak Arabic? I said, mm, you know, a little bit. And then he asked me something. And for some reason, I went to Arabic mode. He goes, oh, he goes, you can speak Arabic. <laughs> right? I thought, oh, no, here we go, right? Okay. So anyway, he was convinced I was an Arab. He goes, you're an Arab. I said, I'm not an Arab. He goes, you're an Arab. I said, I'm not an Arab. So we're having this conversation, right, at two in the morning. I'm like, listen to me, I know what I am, right? He goes, so, so and he's not going to let me off until I say something. I said, I said, well, my dad was from Pakistan. He goes, ah, and the Pakistani, <laughs> you're a Pakistani. And he goes, he goes, I'm going to treat you like a Pakistani. Alright. So I said, carry my bags. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, listen. So and then I, I got a bit annoyed with him. I said, listen, you can do what you want. At the end of the day, you're going to sit behind that that side of the screen. I'm going to be here. You're going to get my passport, and I'm going to go. Right. So anyway, it got a bit heated, but eventually he gave him my my passport. So you have these kind of 
experiences, yeah, you know. Fantastic. So there's a few people contacting us Facebook Live, which is on, uh, if you search for Muslim TV, uh, Rabia, who's, Nasha done a great job as a, in charge of Ramadan this year, she goes slams to the, all the brothers on air, the real party is upstairs in the ark where the sisters are celebrating Jandrat, so all sisters are welcome. So if you, anybody needs any threading done name, you must uh, have got your I threading done. I came. Uh, you and stuff. <coughs> Nadim, did you want to ask somebody a question? I've got some threading. I think <laughs> I need a big rope or something. I think I need... Uh, who wants to ask the next question? One of those flamethrowers or something? You know, I, just, I, I just continue about uh, Sheikh Hamas' co- uh, points about Syria. I mean, I've been five times for very different reasons. And that wasn't to get any training, by the way. Um, <laughs> but subhanAllah, you know, it's such a beautiful country. It's really, it's such a beautiful country, subhanAllah. And the people are so beautiful, mashallah. Very, very patient. And uh, one of my memories was uh, in, in the days when there was just the regime and the Free Syria Army. So because we were coming in through Turkey to get across the border, it was a Free Syria Army that was controlling the border. And I remember having to cross the border with one of their soldiers. Mm. And he gave me a Klashnikov, he says, put this piece because <laughs> he was going to drive so I remember sitting there with this plastic cup between my legs driving across the border and it was just and it was just normal mm. it was like part of the package no problem we obviously are delivering aid etc but then the last trip that I did five years on from the you know so that was the initial first year when the war started so we're talking about a couple of years back <clears throat> and I remember when he got back to Heathrow we got pulled off the flight mm. It was a very different scene. You didn't know who to deal with back in Syria. Which army was this one? Who was there? And the situation has changed so dramatically. Mm. I mean, it probably wouldn't look like anything as to what you saw when you were out there. Very different picture as to what it would have been then. Okay, so Imran's going to ask the next question. <clears throat> uh, my question's to Dr. Aman Darani. As a psychiatrist, how do you stop yourself from second-guessing and, you know, sort of... Pretending you're not analysing every single person you meet day in, day out. What, what do I mean by this question, Doc? Well, tell me about your childhood, Imran. Why did you ask that, Imran? You're not allowed to ask You should already know that. How did that make so you feel? <laughs> no, no, I think it's... Um, uh, I think people always get anxious when you tell them you're a psychiatrist, but we can't read people's minds. But um, I think everyone does that, and I, and I, get all, I guess all of you, because there's this thing about intuition about... When you meet somebody, you know, they say almost within seconds you can get a feel of what they're like. And I think everyone's got those skills and abilities. I guess what we see a lot of is um, abnormal behaviour, you know, and that's the thing in terms of mental health and mental illness. Uh, that when things are not normal and people have disorders, and I guess very much our focus is um, about, you know, identifying, assessing, but also getting people better. So I think um, everyone does it, because I don't know if any of you have done these sort of personality questionnaires. You probably, yeah, there yeah. means you probably did it for you. Uh, for a few for, jobs. For these job yeah. applications. Yeah, job interviews have it as well now when you join in and yeah. your team and stuff, yeah. And, and I think the most fascinating thing about them is actually it tell, it's, and it looks to it, I think it's something we've been talking about, Sheikh Ahmed, is about reflecting for yourself, understanding yourself yeah. before you, because if you know you're a certain per- type of person, that will help you deal with other people. And if you know what the sort of person they are, they'll deal with it. So I don't know if what, any of people's experiences of these. I mean, I've, I've you know, my wife's a counsellor. Um, so she went through a number of years of training and in that period obviously she... Is that with like, you or... No, but you know what, I was a great training example for her. So, <laughs> so the number of times she would come back from a course or something she'd say, right, she'd tell me X, Y and Z. I'm like, it was scary knowing that she could actually analyse me and some of the things she said were actually, oh my God, yeah, that's, that's a point. I've never thought about that. 
So this whole self-reflection, sometimes when somebody else gives it to you, but the fact that they know what they're looking at, it's frightening. It yeah. is quite frightening. And I think we need a lot more of it. Because yeah. it makes you think completely differently about life. And job that, interviews, that's what it's about nowadays. I mean, was it Ernest and Young have now dropped the degree qualification requirement to join the company. It's more about competence-based. What yeah. is your character like? What's your personality like? I mean, I've taken on so many people over the years in the sector who have got two degrees, masters and all that shit, but, but pure numpties. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they just don't have the life skills. Well, you can have knowledge, but no common no sense, can't you? Exactly. And, and this is, this like is what it, so that's why I think that the current wave of testing and, and trying to find out what the ins and outs of individuals yeah. are really important nowadays. Okay. So, man, that was a sneaky <clears throat> question. Nadim, were you going to ask a Well, actually, no, I, mine wasn't more of a question. It was more an observation. And the Sheikh was talking about going to Syria and doing all that. And, I mean, I realised that, I mean, you're talking also about the, your kind of uh, life progression Unfortunately, I, I I kind of went straight from school. I did the hires. I kind of went into medicine. I had five years. And I think, Aman, you've probably got the same kind of thing. And then you come out and you've got another five years of experience that you have to have. So it's kind of like everything's mapped out. And it's like big chunks of like five, six years before you can even... It almost feels like before you can breathe and express yourself and be creative and do that. And I must admit, when you're talking about that, I think, oh, I'd like to have done that. You know, just go off and do three or four years. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what you think of that. Or maybe if maybe from your angle, you might have been looking back saying, maybe I'd like to be in in, in another kind of, um, you know, kind of, no, really, no. In so a, in a more, I, I, can, I can relate to his little journey. Yeah. It's, not, it's a big journey, mashallah. <laughs> I can relate to some of the steps because... Amr was part of the team that first set up Radio Ramadan 21 years ago now. 21 years ago, mm. yeah. yeah. I remember we went to Leeds, to Bradford, to <laughs> see the first radio station. And we came back, we had a meeting at Nawaz Ali's house. So Amr, myself, Zabair, Dr. Salah and a few others. And I used to drop him off. Well, well, I, I, remember, I, remember, I, I remember remember. him going through the journey of thinking about you know going ahead with it. And Rizwan was already travelling quite a bit. He was already out there at that time. Well, I remember... I don't know. Can I call you Amr? No, but I remember meeting you once, and I, I don't know if you do mind me saying this, but I did a, a couple of weekend stints at your dad's restaurant. So I was a waiter there. <laughs> uh, and I remember you as a young, you as a, as a young kid. Do you remember the money going missing that? <laughs> remember that no, 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 no customers came in that weekend, you know? Um, but, you know, and I remember... Uh, you there and then I think you were at Glasgow Uni and I used to sort of pop in every now and then and you'd just done law and he said ah, I'm thinking of doing something else I'm, and everyone's saying oh or something <laughs> and uh, you know and you were telling me about doing but and I to me it sounded like more like you wanted to do a diploma in uh, Islamic studies or something and, and, and learn that as part of your law thing um, and um but I mean, the fact that you were able to say, I'd like to do this, I'll maybe try that, it just sounded really quite free and refreshing in that you were able to kind of pick the further study kind of pathway that you wanted. Whereas I don't know, I think with Amanullah, uh, it's probably the same. It's in very that linear, isn't it? It's very it? linear. You, you yeah. kind of basically have to decide six years before that this is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. and, and you're going through that. And, and I'll be honest with you, there are plenty of times where I thought, what the heck am I doing? This is like such a trudge. 
you know it's so oh man it's it's dull and i'm having to really struggle through this so i don't know that yeah. i i think when i when i look at you guys i think the freedom there to be able to just Hey, I'm going off here. I'm going to go down here. And let's think, let's think, um, take a journey it, it here. Wasn't, it wasn't as uh, straightforward as that, but um, I mean, although Naim's uh, saying yes, we, I was involved in a lot of work, and he was as well involved as well. And I had that conversation with a lot of people. And Naim will know this: yeah, yeah. that not many, even the people I thought that would have encouraged me to do it, would actually tell me not to do it. They're saying, "No, become a lawyer." and become an Islamic worker or whatever that means and uh, just to do a, a couple of lessons on the weekend or whatever and, and that's that's the way you should go forward so it was a, it was quite difficult but then I thought well I'll just end up like everybody else you know and if we all just end up being the same then how are we going to ever go forward so I think I was just thinking a lot I was doing a lot of thinking and um, so when I had that conversation with you it was probably that, at that stage so it, the thing is it requires a degree of courage because you are going into the unknown. People are telling you don't do it. So if you fall flat on your face, and you know what the Pakistani community is like, and that was one of the fears of, I remember, I, think, I can't remember if it was my dad or somebody else said, he goes, why don't you let someone else do it? Mm. And if they mess it up, right, then you know not to do it. <laughs> and I said, but every, if every, I said, if everyone thinks that, no one will do it, which is what, what happens. No one, no one does it, and then someone does it, and then everyone wants to do it. So uh, I think it requires a decree of, of courage, because... I would say out of 100%, 95% of people told me not to do it. Mm. And had I listened to them right, I wouldn't be who I am today. Mm. So, so and I learned, I learned a big lesson through that. And just one thing, sorry. Um, the other thing you're saying about, well, you know, you've done this and you kind of feel stuck. When I was in Syria and Yemen, I've met doctors, people who were uh, had done the medical profession, took time out, became scholars. I know a couple of them now and came back and retrained and now they're GPs or whatever. So I don't think it's ever too late. And I think there's a lot of flexibility. And you don't have to become a scholar. I mean, go, go, just go to the Middle East work and stay in your profession, but get out of Glasgow and, and just experience You know, I, I did 25, 20 years in the civil service. <coughs> so, you know, the civil service, you've got a pension, you've got flexi time, you can phone in sick when you feel like it, all the rest of it. So I remember, you know, out of the blue, the opportunity came. And I was really fortunate that I managed to get a three-year and then it became a five-year career break. So I still had the job to go back to. But after the five years, the crunch came. So right, you either come back or it's time for you to resign. And it was scary. It was really frightening. And I took a lot of advice from different people. And for me, fortunately, the opportunity ahead of, I had ahead of me had already you know, panned out for five years. I knew that was going to be, it was going to work. Um, but I remember the first day that I left, it was frightening because suddenly the net had gone. Yep. There was no security, there was no mm. pensions, nothing. Mm. I was now on my own. And you know, Zabair was sitting next door to me, he, t mm. he told me a really valuable lesson. He said, if you want to know Allah, he said, go into business for yourself. Mm. And SubhanAllah, how true, because you know, every day was different. You didn't know what was gonna happen. Yeah. It's different working for a company, you know, you're gonna get the same salary, but once you're on your own, you don't know what's gonna happen. Then you start to rely on Allah thinking, you know what? Whatever happens is in Allah's hands now. That's an interesting point. And it means yeah. you're sort of at the yeah. juncture in life where you've just graduated, you've got your job. Yeah. I mean, how, what do you make of some of this discussion? Well, I was actually here? going to ask Sheikh Hammer there. This obviously, we're saying 95% of the people were kind of tried to talk you out of it. Were your parents one of some of those people? Because I feel like a lot of parents wouldn't want their children to do it, even now. Even well, seeing people like you, they still wouldn't want them to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Uh, even their family was against. I mean, there was, I would say, w one brother and one sister who were kind of on my side, but virtually everyone was against me. 
Yeah, I feel like nowadays, I'd still say 95% of parents wouldn't want their children to go into that kind of field of work. But don't you think, you know what, if you look, if you look back over the years, I mean, it's a bit different now, but I remember when young Muslim kids, Pakistani kids wanted to, oh, Dad, I want to, I want to be a footballer. It's a tissue, get back in the club. <laughs> yeah. Nobody would be interested. But yeah. now if you look at football, it's, you know, look at the level you can get to. Well, that be- name, that beautifully brings us on to one of the things that I wanted to discuss, so... We've had a bit of quite a long preamble, really, but there are a few things that I think wanted to move the discussion forward. And really, what um, I'd like to discuss is various aspects within our community, and really reflecting a little bit in terms of what we've achieved in the last twenty years or so, or last few decades. But also, really, mainly f- thinking about what people, you know, what good work's going on, and also looking for the future. What needs to be done as a community? And one of the things I've got here, name is. Um, this whole area of media and celebrities and role models and sportsmen, you know, and um, a bit welcome everyone's comments. But in terms of where do you think, because you spend a lot of time with these sort of celebs and footballers, etc. I mean, you, you're a Z-list celebrity <coughs> yourself. <almost. laughs> but, but, you know, Z-list, that's right. No, but, you know, you had this recent, you had, had the big launch and you had a lot yeah, of celebs, yeah. Amar Khan and Lindsay Lohan, at Hollywood, you know, uh, actors and actresses. I mean, where do you think we are as a community? Because what's the impact of these people? I mean, you, you, you've deliberately, you know, built relationship with these people. I mean, what is the impact that it has on society? Yeah, I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't build any relationships with anybody deliberately. I didn't go into the sector deliberately. It was just part, it just happened. You know, I, I think I said that in your Desert Island yeah. disc thing, you know, things, I didn't plan any of this. I feel that university, right? <laughs> Obviously. That was, just, that was it. <laughs> You know, and you know the thing you said you never you've not finished a book. I've never read a full never book read in my a book. life. I think I've only ever one book in my life, and I've read it five times. The Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Other than that, I'd have read a cover of a book, the first few paragraphs, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd go on to the the next book that looked really interesting. Yeah. The, the, the point is that you know I didn't deliberately go out just to meet any of these celebrities or say right I've got to go and find out who X Y and they all just happen part of the the, the package. Look, you know, I think one of the most important things that um, we need to realise as a community is that we need to recognise talent in our communities. Mm-hmm. And not only recognise it, but actually promote it, no matter what it is. Because today you might think, you know, being a footballer or being a sheikh is, oh, what a load of... But you know what? In a few years' time, that's going to matter. Mm-hmm. Having a role model as a footballer, like Dembaba, like Kolo Tori or anybody else, OK, they're not from Glasgow. But in their communities, when you go back to Senegal with them, I mean, I've been to Senegal and uh, met people that uh, you know new Demba new Demonse Kamari I was just on the phone to him earlier on today and their communities are so proud that all their children want to be footballers hmm. right in the same way with with, 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 with all the respect they have for Amr I'm sure there are people who come to I syllabus want to say you know what I want to get to that level that wasn't the same many years ago right but as a community it's, it's a necessity for us now and we need to excel in every possible field. It's no longer good enough to excel as a doctor or as a lawyer or as an accountant. It's not enough. Because the impact of these celebs and role models yeah. is massive. It's massive. It? It's huge. One celebrity, it's like, you know, when you when you go to an event, one steward, or, you know, 10 stewards are equal to one policeman. Mm. In the same way, a celebrity is equal to 20 other different types, if not more. And, and I guess the theme, one of the, you know, people that had the biggest impact in life and in death was Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. Miller, Graham, the high status in Jannah. And he, 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 I know he's a big role model of yours, but even if you look at his funeral. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. Even I, if you do, you want, at, do you want to tell him I'm wearing this now? I've, 
Muhammad Ali sent us because because his funeral as well was such a big impact and yeah. it was amazing and you know in terms of just the impact of Islam in American wider society. Tell us a bit about your experience with Muhammad Ali and <coughs> this no, top that you're wearing. As well, well, no, I um, uh, this is top is something I bought from the Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky, and I, I, you <laughs> you <laughs> you can smell it. <laughs> but uh, no, I I went to the Ali Center. And, well, look, we all anybody that grew up in the seventies knows what yeah, it was yeah. like, right? Ali we was the man, right? He grew up in the nineties. Right? But, but, but I think you know what? Even nineties, <laughs> yes. everybody knew Ali, no matter what era you were in. See, that's interesting because I wonder if he had the same impact. Because when I was growing up in the seventies, it was like. Mm. Ali was the biggest thing on TV, full stop. You it was like from your black and white television, yes, o'clock in the morning, the entire family, yes, and you'd want to watch it. And you were I, exactly, and and remember that was a time when you know the, there's that f- phrase "packy bashing," yeah, and people were out, you know, like that was something that people actually did, yeah. and and he was this guy who suddenly was a Muslim who was fearless, you know, and he was funny, and he looked good. And he was just, you know, he was just he's good at what he did. And he was, and he, that's a very good that's point. A really that's thing. a very good point. He was good at what he did. He had excellence. Could be like in Eddie his, the Eagle, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like the Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> Ramiz, do you know who Eddie the Eagle is? Uh, no, I do actually. Okay. Uh, I've heard that's that's from there either. Awesome. <laughs> Eddie the Eagle's from there. The film came out, didn't it? <laughs> so you met you met Muhammad Ali. I, I met him, alhamdulillah. And uh, well, what happened was. I um, it was I think it was 2005, and there was a chance thing that came up, and he was opening a center called the Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky. Now this shows you what this guy was like. He by this stage he's been ravaged with Parkinson's, right? Yeah. Mm. And for 10 years, you know, he'd been famous, but not that famous. And what he'd actually been doing was he was raising money all around the world to build this center called the Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And what this thing is, is it's a, it's a center to encourage kids to reach their potential. So they've got it like, you know, become the greatest. Yeah. So they've got psychologists there uh, and they've got all sorts of other people there. And then they've got, you know, but two or three floors that are dedicated to Ali memorabilia mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. But it's basically meant to be an interactive thing for kids to use for their personal development. And one of the things they also wanted to do was turn it into a, a negotiation centre where people could get together and actually like sort out their differences. So this is what this guy had been going all around the world, you know, sort of uh, saving money for, promoting and all that kind of thing. So this thing was opening up and I thought, I don't care what happens, I am going. Uh, and that was it. So I basically bought a ticket, and then I used to write for a magazine called ML Magazine. I don't. Is that even I was still? A sales director. Well, you're probably, you probably <laughs> will. <laughs> Zubair and I used to. Zubair yeah. Used to the magazine. I was a sales director. Way, is, that, came out. is that still going? No, that no, magazine. No. I think is it's online now. I wonder because I tried to phone the office. It was ahead of its time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it came out today, it'd be very successful. Uh, right. Okay. Well, it was. Well, I I did I I did the doctor's page yeah, on the I back, and, and then so I I I thought you know it's one of these things where I thought hang on I've got to go to, I've got to those so I phoned up the Ali Center and I said listen 
I write for this magazine that's the biggest Muslim magazine in Britain. <laughs> would you like that? Would you like so? Yeah, well, well, the, I, well I said the, it anyway. It was the only Muslim It was the only Muslim magazine that said, would you be interested in an article about your centre? They went, yeah, that'd be great. We'll send you a press pack. <laughs> and then I phoned uh, ML and it was Sarah Joseph. I said, listen, if I get you an interview with Ali, would you be interested? Said, yes, just go. And I was like, boom, there you go. So I went there and they sent me a press pack. And I kid you not, I went there and I had the BBC on one side, Al Jazeera on one side, and there's me with my camera <laughs> in the middle. And honestly, it was, was like was a disposable it was a, camera. In the it was. A, it was. I think it was just something I bought. Oh, but honestly, one of the most amazing experiences I've had. And I, you know, you're talking about celebrities. I was there with A-list celebrities. I was like, I think Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. That was their first public date out. Sure. I met Bill Clinton. I met Jim Carrey. Uh, what's the big uh, guy? Lennox Lewis, who is oh, wow. the real predator. Yeah, He's, yeah. This guy's huge. Yeah, so yeah. I met him. I met, and then I met people like Jimmy Ellis, who Ali, who actually after Ali's title got taken away, Jimmy Ellis was the, the they gave him the heavyweight title, then he was beaten by Joe Frazier. So I met people like that, and uh, David Frost, and all this kind so, of, it's fantastic. So my, quest, yes. my question to people here, is so we're recognizing that these celebrities, role models, sportsmen have a massive impact. You know what impact it had on you and the family, you know growing up. How do we nurture, or what what do we need to do as a community? Because there'll be Ali's, there'll be the next Sheikh Amr, there'll be next Sheikh Rizwan out there somewhere. You know, they'll be out in the communities. <coughs> what are the barriers that are stopping them coming out, or what can we do as a community to move it forward? Because if we're saying that in twenty years' time. We want, you know, the top sportsmen in in the UK or in the world to be from Scotland or from Glasgow as a Muslim or etc. etc. You know, or the next top sheikh or the next, you know, you know, because because at the moment it's still very much. I think I'm a doctor engineer. You're all right. If anything else, or do it a bit on the side. And you know, the, these sort of professions, you can't just do it necessarily in your spare time. You yeah, need but, to give it well, hour after hour after. So, what are your thoughts yeah, of people? I, I, what do we need I to think, do? I think there's two things. First of all, we should never. I mean, Try and develop people with the with the intention that they're going to become famous. Mm. That's just that's part and parcel of the package. But it's nurturing their skill yeah. set, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It? So what I was going to say, Ardon, was that we need to try and you know make sure we pick on the fact that somebody has got a certain talent. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a friend of mine, um, Dr. Zafik Bal. He's a he's a physiotherapist. He's worked at Liverpool. He's now working at Crystal Palace. He worked at Tottenham Hotspur. He's as famous as the footballers are because he's the man that gets them. And he, you know, so he's not somebody in every single newspaper, but he's as famous and as well travelled and, and been through all the experiences and knows exactly which player broke what, what time and all the rest of it as well. So he excelled in what he was doing. So it's about nurturing people's talent and making sure they're equipped to make that happen. But our issue, I think, as a community sometimes is even though somebody's talented because we don't want them to go that way. So I think parents, we need to take some risks as a community. Mm. So if somebody's good, uh, uh, Sheikh Hamar wanted to, you know, go on to learn. At that time, Alhamdulillah, he took the decision. Imagine he hadn't taken the decision. He'd still be running the restaurant today. No, but, <laughs> no, but it would have been a risk. It was a risk and a jump into the unknown. Of course it is. And we need to take them because, look, if you look at the areas where Muslims are not really, even in a political level, we're not really engaged. Right, so we need to. We, I remember, you know, Uncle Bashir. I'm a bless him. I mean, what, he died how many years ago now? I remember well before his his health became ill. He used to tell me, "Say, listen, you should get into politics." Mm. And I'm like, "Man, you're just another one of those, you know, Uncle G's trying to get into the party." And he was 100% correct. 
we need to look at the future and I think we should learn from our past from the last 50 years where have we come as a community not very far to some extent because if you look at the influence of the political sphere the, the sports sphere etc so I think we, we do need to take some risks and some of us are going to have to become sacrificial lambs to take that risk some of our children are going to have to go and do those things um, and it's going to happen because we need to be in every part of our community every part of our society and excel in it yeah I mean Something that Sheikh Amr said about courage. You've got to have courage to do this. Uh, one of the things I realise that I see is, I mean, our community that came over, I mean, basically we were in survival mode. You know, you did whatever you had to survive and to make it here. And I think maybe a lot of our community still has that poverty mentality, or at least some of the people I uh, see around me. So they still got that thing that if we do this, we, we might become poor, we might become whatever. Uh, so we have to go into those kind of safe professions. And I don't know if the Jewish community had the same thing where they, you know, they started off, you had the, the businessmen, then you had the, the, the professionals, then you had the artists who were able to express themselves. And I actually count you almost as an artist because you're, you're, you're able to do stuff, you're able to express yourself and, and, and take that forward. So I don't know if, uh, you know, I mean, Amanullah uh, might, if, if what you think of that, I mean, that that's something that I see that yeah. you know we're in a position where, okay, we don't have to worry about that, or at least we, those outdated thinking, things about, in terms of safeguarding of poverty, we can get rid of that now, because we don't need that. Because I think it's something to do with confidence as a community, because I think if you're confident and comfortable in yourself, you will take risks, you will take challenges. At the moment, with the community being always on the back, you know, attacked, 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 the natural response is to withdraw within what's safe, <laughs> withdraw within yourself, and then it's to, to avoid a lot of those risks. So it's kind of um, difficult. So, Ramiz, uh, I'd like to hear from you and then Sheikh Amr yeah, as well. Yeah, I think another part is perhaps support from institutions. I think if someone like what Sheikh Amr's position was a few years ago wanted to go abroad and study, are the institutions ready to sponsor them, give them the money while they're there? I don't know if you did get financial support while you were away, um, but I think that's maybe another like huge blocker for something. <laughs> exactly, so I was speaking to Sheikh Saeed so about sad. this a while ago as well, and one of the institutions he was with who were like, yeah, go abroad and study, but then weren't willing to back him financially, and I think that would also be a huge blocker for a lot of people uh, going to, I don't know if Sheikh Amr, if anyone did it for you when you were there. Um, it wasn't to the level that it should have been. There was um, sporadic help. It wasn't enough in itself to, to be self-sufficient. And finance was a worry uh, when I was studying. I never knew if I had enough money. Uh, and I knew some students who actually ended up teaching English when they were in Syria because they didn't have enough money. But what, what I found was the students that started uh, teaching English, it took away from their studies. And so then I, I decided, I thought, well, I didn't come halfway across the world to start teaching English now. If I wanted to do that, I'd do. Uh, you know, I would have done that a long time ago. So I, I actually took a decision that I, I thought, well, time is more important than the money element. So I thought I need to get this all done in my twenties before I get into my thirties. And so I took the decision that if even if I went into debt and had to borrow money, I would do that and then pay it back when I got back. Because if you look at something like FOSIS, um, where even the, the head of FOSIS this year wasn't paid, even though it's a full-time job, essentially, the Jewish equivalent, the head of um, the Jewish student or, you know, organisation, they're getting on like 30, 40 grand a year. And that's why they can put this time in to actually develop it a lot more. Um, so I think that's one of the big sort of blocking factors for the Muslims as well, is that we're not financially backing them. I think, I think it's not just about the parents, it's, it's about institutions, you know, looking for the future, looking at individuals, looking at setups, etc., 
you know, if I was to start fundraising right now for something happening in Syria or Palestine, thousands and millions would come across. But the minute you start to talk about developing our own community, I think it's seen as an issue. But you know what? These recent events, not just in the last four or five weeks, but in the last few years since 9-11 particularly, I think we've started to think differently. Mm. In my opinion, there are glimpses of hope. Uh, I think more and more people are realizing that charity begins at home. And I don't mean, f you know, just financially. I mean charity from the perspective of putting our resources into what's happening at home here as well. Because otherwise, we are on the back foot. We're never going to go forward. And we need to come out on the front foot. So, And that's what needs to happen. Thank you. That's excellent. So if you are listening, you've got any thoughts or comments, please do give us a call. 375-3434. Or you can pop some messages on Facebook. We're getting various comments and stuff coming in. Um, we've got another guest joining us, Omar Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Omar. Assalamu alaikum, how are you doing, boys? First declaration of interest, Eid Sunday or Monday? Um, uh, Sunday, for sure. Tomorrow, okay. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you were fasting. He's, he's, got, less, less fasting. he's, he's got the certificate. He's got the certificate from Nigeria. <laughs> Actually, Omar's one of the few people I know. Email. Omar's one of the few people I know that's gone to Nigeria multiple times, and you got the dress as well. <laughs> I was wearing it yesterday, and uh, a lot of Nigerians so, are looking at me the most. So, Omar, just a few reflections. So, we're talking a bit about reflecting on where the community has been the last few decades and looking forward as well, where we want to be in another 20 or 50 years. And the first bit that you know, we'll maybe touch upon aspects of youth, as mosques and institutions, engaging with non-Muslims. But the first domain we're sort of talking about is kind of the whole idea of building role models and sportsmen, or you know, nurturing this idea of celebrities and media because they have such an influence. Um, and we touched a bit about this whole colourful heritage, their stories, because they were trailblazers to some extent. So looking forward in terms of what good work is go people doing just now, and I guess colourful heritage might be some of that. But also looking forward, what do we need to do as a community to enable to find the next Sheikh Ahmed, to find the next sportsman, yeah. find the next Muhammad Ali? Uh, excellent, excellent discussion show. And first of all, I'd like to just you know commend all of you guys, mashallah, for the great work you've done at Radio Ramadan over the month. Um, you, you can leave work. now. No. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No. Uh, no, fantastic work, and a lot of us uh, staying <coughs> at home, especially you know you've got twenty hour fast, and you guys are in here taking time. Um, to, to share your knowledge, share your insights is really, really commendable and admirable. So JazakAllah khair to, to all of you for this. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who comes from the finance world and I'd like to say one thing, first of all, on, in answer to your question, Iman. You can have all the great ideas you want, right? You know, fantastic. But until you can get them funded so they are sustainable, it means nothing. Same with the NHS, same with everything else, right? Unless there's funding... Uh, to make it sustainable you're not going to get anywhere you can run off the back of volunteers only for so long but that does not give you institutional solutions look at this station it's still struggling to get money to get the refurb done if people out there could donate and get the money we could get the rooms built upstairs which allow other activities to happen and it's still a problem why is it a problem right because we're not focusing on money we're not focusing on being smart now names mentioned a great point and and I'd like to extend it one step further uh, to, to pick up on the points which Sheikh Harmi mentioned is our solution is in in the waqf our solution is in within the awqaf structure so right? explain that to listeners that don't know okay. what that means why, why will that help us solve things as a Glasgow community okay. it's like saying this here's here's a £10,000 handout for your project this year okay here's £1,000 is £100 <coughs> right great okay you've got one year budget can you run an NHS of that? Can you run a radio station of that? Can you run an education educational institution of that? You cannot. If I have to say, I've got a billion dollars, 
of which 1% will go every year to your charity. So here's 100,000 or whatever that number is, you know, per year for you for the next indefinite number of years. Then all of a sudden you've got a budget that you can run things in a sustainable way, right? You can run things and you can actually plan for the future for growth and so on. So when you talk about charity, it's not just uh, sadaqa and zakat. Waqf is a form of ongoing charity as a form of sadqajari and Sheikh Amr is in the room and he can tell you more about the importance of this but I think the reason why it's relevant and, and name I think we need to go beyond just thinking locally and I think NZF and others have started that, that narrative which is great but I think we need to do smart charity which is not just raising money for emergency release in every country around the world but raising a Scottish Waqf fund that we as a community need to raise Right, and off the back of that, it's an endowment. What's translated into endowment? Right, trust structures in, in Scots law and English law came off the back of the Muslim world. Universities, Oxford, Cambridge, every university has been founded off an endowment. The NHS and these these institutions in the time of the Ottoman period. There's that famous saying about the role of the Waqf. And I keep I I can't believe that we have so many smart people in this room and in Glasgow who are so smart when it comes to their businesses or their careers, how to get a good career and how to run a, anything from a shop to a GP surgery you know, effectively. Yet when it comes to managing our own money as a balance sheet, we still don't get it. And even Islamic Relief and all the top charities, you know, I don't mean to name one, they are not prioritizing waqf. And until we put forward a waqf-based smart approach, not just about where we put our money, Pakistan or Mirpur or you know, Bradford or, 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 or Pollock Shields. No, it's not just that. It's actually also how we raise the money, you know? Omar, can, can you, can, so can I just ask you, because um, I'm not as we a big man either. Well, I, no, no, well, I, no, because I, I don't quite understand this. So what exactly is a work face? It's basically, is it a fund that you put money into that you can then draw out from, from time to time? Is that is that basically what that is? So, like Omar said, um, Waqf for Awqaf was uh, um, started by the Muslims, and and um, basically uh, this has been a hallmark really of, of Islamic uh, history and civilization. So, you'd have people who had a lot of money. I want to do something. Okay, it's the same thing now, and I want to do something about a mosque. So, what you'd do is you'd say, right, okay, I'm going to give this money away, but I wanted to to do some sort of uh, project which live on after Jariya. So like Omar said, a lot of the universities were started by these funds. So for example, there were mosques um, still in the Muslim world. I remember in Yemen there was one big mosque and at the bottom of the mosque there was like kind of um, shops. So what happens is the, the, the those shops were given us by somebody that okay I'm giving this to the mosque. So that's a, that's an endowment. And then what happens is the money that was generated from the, the shops would go into the mosque. So the mosque was was self self funding. It didn't have to have charity dinners, it didn't have to have janda and appeals and stuff because it was self generating. So what happens is like Harvard, all these places they've got endowments, massive endowments, which are then working in the background and then they, they can fund these things. So this actual concept came from Muslims. And see, when you actually get into the, the whole chapter of endowments, it's fascinating. I remember we did it in, uh, in Syria. And my teacher, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Wa'il, he's in Turkey now. And he said to me when we started the, the, the chapter, he goes, he goes, yeah, Sheikh Amr. He goes, he goes, if you'd come here 500 years ago, he goes, you would have had everything paid for. You would have had a house. You would have had this. You would have had that. Because he goes, it was so many awqaf. There's so many endowments in Damascus. He goes, they've all disappeared. He goes, yeah. You're, you're over here, you're struggling with money and all these things. He goes, that didn't happen. If you look at Imam Ghazali, we think of Imam Ghazali, right? Famous scholar. He produced so many great works. 
he could not have done that if there was not an endowment um, structure in place because he was only able to do that. It's like university, right? Um, when we have people who are, are in university lectures or professors, right? What do they do? They do a degree, they do a master's, they do a PhD, and then they're, they're paid 40, 50 grand or more just to research. Okay, so that's all they're doing. They're just doing research. So the same thing with Imam Ghazali. He had he was living in a time where if you want to become a scholar, you would be paid to do it. And when you became the scholar, you would be paid to do that as well. And you'd basically keep going up. So he never had to work. He never had to drive a taxi. If Imam Ghazali was having to drive a taxi, he wouldn't have been Imam Ghazali. So he could only become that person because the, the system existed for him. Um, if you look at like you're talking about myself, Sheikh Rizwan, we did this off our backs. There's there's no there's no like financial help. There was nothing. When I was studying, I had no idea what I was going to do when I came back. Mm. There was no no place that was saying here's your here's your job. I had to think of all those things. So that's added pressure. If you take that pressure away, you're going to get a lot more done. If you have more added pressure, more stress, you're going to get less done. So. I always say to like some uh, students, I say, what I did in 10 years, you probably can do in six years if the structure was there. So the endowment, the endowment um, uh, project or, or thinking is the right way to think long term. I think we're evolving as a community. That's where we want to go eventually so that we're not every year raising funds constantly. One thing I want to come back to, um, one of the recent great experiences I had last year, I did this uh, senior faiths um, uh, I can't remember what it was called, Senior Faith, Interfaith pro, uh, Leadership Programme, it was called uh, Cambridge University. So what they do is, it's, an, it's, a, it's a very interesting programme. They take a group of uh, Jews, a group of Christians, a group of Muslims, and they're split up. It sounds so, like a joke coming up, Shay. No, no, no. They right. walk into a pub? No, no, no. No? So um, this looks kind of split, like, so you have some, some are scholars and some, like, community activists from each faith. And what we did was we went to Windsor Castle, and we were there for three days, for three times in a year. And that was an amazing experience because you're mixing with people of other faiths. And also, you, you see there's a lot of similarities. They've got similar struggles that we have. I remember then we had our own meeting, a Muslim meeting. And I remember one of the, <coughs> Dr. Asim was there as well. And I think we, we, we made a joke at the end that we, we shouldn't elongate this meeting. Otherwise, it makes us suspicious. Right? <laughs> the Muslims meet might, separately. <laughs> it might be eyebrows raised like, what's going on with the Muslims all go? But we were, we, I mean, I remember I had, this, I had this discussion with him as well. We were just astounded at the infrastructure that the other two faiths had. I mean, I was speaking to this rabbi and he was on 90 grand. And he was just, and he had one job. He goes, all I do is I just look at all the other rabbis. If there's a complaint from a synagogue, I deal with it. That's all I do. There was some other guy, and all he he was in charge of like 70 parishes. He goes, yeah, if there's a complaint, I deal with it. And, and the rest of the time, they're networking. There was a Shia guy, and he was like traveling all over the world. He was just like the reps. And he, that's, he, his, his job was just to network with different people. <laughs> and so when we looked at these people, right, we thought, wait a minute, we're a mess. And me, me and Dr. Asim were saying, we're doing like 10 jobs each. And I remember, I remember, like when we were having our little groups. Twice I got asked this question, and you've got you've got people. I mean, there was in my group. There was um, the former head of religion at BBC, and he actually got me on to was it called uh, Pause for Thought was on BBC Two? No, no, no. It was uh, Michael. So anyway, he he asked me, and another guy. It was about three people asked me throughout that duration. They said, I "Don't mean to be rude, but can I ask how do you make a living?" Because all of them had set roles. I'm this. I get paid this by the church, I get this, I get paid by this person, that's it. And like what Ramiz was saying, 
when you go, I mean, I'm, a, I'm the Muslim chaplain for Caledon University. The, the, the Christian's obviously paid by the university. The Jewish person is paid by, by the Jewish community. They're full-time paid jobs. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. I've got my I've got my volunteer cap on. You get taken out for a kebab. Do you understand? You're you're doing the Juma khutbah. You're doing this. You're having to sit in meetings, and you just physically cannot do a, a, a thousand jobs properly. And so when we was when we were discussing this, we just realised we thought we're we're doing like ten jobs each, right? And the and the, re, and the fact that the guys had to ask me how do you make a living because he could not understand. Wait a minute, you do all these things, but how do you get paid? How do you make a living? You know, and, and this is and this was I mean for me and Doctor Asm we were just like <laughs> we need to get our act together. Nadim, you, you wanted to come no, back on that. Well, I, I mean, I'm a complete <coughs> layperson about this, so really, what I'm saying is, okay, so this guy gets paid sixty thousand pounds doing whatever. Now, what does he do to generate the return for that? Like, what 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 does he do? I mean, because obviously, they that that community must be paying, must be giving charity, must be doing other things, and the, there's not a bottomless pit there. Yeah. Okay. So okay. How does so, that so, so, so I guess the question is, okay, sounds great and in concept. Yeah. What 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 needs to be happened? So in Scotland, how do we establish a work? So so when you talk, that, well, that's exactly the point about sustainability. If you in the the rule of the waqf is the capital that's given to the waqf cannot be eroded. Right, so if you give a hundred million, that hundred million will always stay. You can only use the yield, the return on that capital. So that's exactly why it's sustainable. So as a non-financial, anything else. So if, if you, if I give you a hundred million, okay. So if I give you a property worth ten million pound, mm-hmm. you can only use the rent income ah, from that okay. property. You cannot sell the property. You cannot deplete the, the the value of the property. You can only use the rental income for that property. So that is exactly why it's sustainable. So, uh, so I mean, let's think practically. I'm uh, again, I'm not a financial guy, right? So, great idea. What do we need to do to make this happen in Glasgow? Which you need to your house, man, and uh, <laughs> rent it out. No, no, I mean, what what are the I, I, practical steps? To I think there's two things. I think number one, there needs to be a concerted effort by our leaders to prioritise waqf, right? We've got great talented people, people in this room, and people across Glasgow and and in the UK who are prioritising raising charitable donations for firefighting today right that is commendable admirable fantastic work but if you want to keep firefighting you're going to build nothing for tomorrow i tell you now right so to start building something for tomorrow the first and foremost things is the shayukh and the few people who are in the fundraising game need to sit down together and say you know what we are going to prioritize this prioritize this for the next decade we're going to give a quarter of our time a third of our time for the next 10 years to build a work then you need to put the legal infrastructure together, which is simple, straightforward, we can arrange that. And then you need to start building up capital in that, right? You need to start amassing properties and so on. You have to remember that Al-Qaf globally is in the trillions of dollars. Mm. Billions is yep. in India today. Billions has been usurped from Bosnia today. Hundreds of millions, if not billions, is in Turkey, which led to the funding of Erdogan's party, AKP party, and many other activities. So it's absolutely doable. But guess what? It's not an overnight solution. It's not a quick fix solution. It takes a decade plus. And us as Muslims need to understand Sadqa Jariya, this is going to go on for us after we die, after we pass away. Putting a waqf in the name of your children or your deceased parents is something which is going to benefit you, right? People need a toolkit to be able to implement that easily, and we need to prioritize that as a community. So even Radio Ramadan, we're raising money for charities today, right? 
what are we raising to build our works which will help charities not just today but for the next hundreds of years because the capital cannot be the, the rule of the so, work is you cannot so you cannot use the capital so Omar can I ask you would yeah. this, just as a layman let me get this so instead of people saying right we're raising money for Syria today or orphans in Syria or whatever you're saying let's raise money to buy four flats is yeah. that right or 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 a business and then that business we buy that yeah. business and that business then that generates money capital that keeps yeah. going and going right and going. i exactly. see so okay. if you say i want to raise money for syria today yeah you raise two hundred thousand pound from this one month two choices you give the two hundred thousand pound today or two hundred thousand pound is spent today okay Khalas. Right. or two hundred thousand pound you buy a property and say it gives you 10 percent return whatever 20 grand for simplicity of numbers every year for the next 50 years you can give 20 grand a year to Syria or till perpetuity you can do the math yourself in more than 10 years you've given more to Syria and by the way every subsequent year you haven't had to raise more money for Syria I think also on top of that I mean there's two things that happen one is you start to establish a pipeline you know that this kind of money is going to come in regularly you can afford to fund X number of scholars or football or whatever it might be I think the second is some of those roles that you're actually putting into place actually fund themselves Mm. Right. So, for example, let's say it is creating a sports person or a teacher. They're going to have an income coming from somewhere, not just from yourself. You might have funded them to get to that particular stage, but when they get to that particular role, they've got a chance to get funding. They've got a chance to, you know, charge for their services. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, it's something quite minute, but that started my journey off. I was in the civil service and I set up a training course. It's to train non-Muslims in Islam. But I didn't have the money to do it. I couldn't leave a job and just go into it. But the Islamic Society of Britain, may Allah bless them, subhanAllah, said, you know what? I gave them the model. I said, look, this training course, I can deliver it professionally. I can charge for it. And I'll put the money back in the kitty. But I need someone to underwrite my salary. And they put the money forward for two years. Yeah. Myself, Maza, Sister Farhanda Chaudhary, Imran Sharif, few of us came out for two years. We put the money back in the kitty. So, but so the fact there was somebody to underwrite it. Mm-hmm. And it helped us develop to the next stage of our life. And we're still here 10 years down the line. So name I'd like you like to develop this argument forward a little bit into another area which you've just touched upon actually and if you're just joining us we're talking a bit about as a Glasgow community where have we sort of what have we achieved in the last few decades but going forward where do we want to be in another 10 or 20 years um, this whole aspect of engagement with non-Muslims right so I guess as a community you know we talk a lot about where we are in terms of the media in terms of you know what's happening around us and even in the last month or the last few months and the perception of now Muslims and then that led to the attack near Finsbury Park as well um, this whole aspect of engaging with wider society rather than navel gazing within our own community because there's certainly issues within our own community we need to fix right but there's also an element of engaging with wider society uh, you know and even this whole term is interesting I was listening to um, Tariq Ramadan and he goes, even this whole terminology, Muslims and non-Muslims, he goes, I really hate this terminology mm, because mm. what you're doing, you're defining defining everyone else in reference to yourself. So he goes, you should say Muslims and those of other faiths. You know, he said as a suggestion rather than non-Muslims. But you, I know it can become clunky, but, you know, so I guess it's this aspect. So what are we doing? I mean, what good work has been done in terms of engaging with wider society? Uh, and those of other faiths and what needs to be done because I guess it's only so far that you know things will take you by just focusing on yourself 
and even I guess linking in with that, you know, the work with new Muslims or converts as well. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, who's got thoughts around that? You know, one of the key issues is that as Muslims, yeah, we have got our own issues, and sadly, a lot of us just end up developing ourselves, and, and that's what, and that's not what life's about. You know, if you look at the the the, the, the seed of the Prophet Sallallahu the the companions afterwards, and even scholars of this era, they said that if you came into this country just to work and earn a living or whatever, you shouldn't be here. It's compulsory upon you to invite people to what Islam is really all about. So, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, there's two or three things that are doing really well. So just look at Ramadan, right? If we have a productive Ramadan, the chances are the next year is going to be really good for us and then Ramadan is going to be even better. So in the same way, when we do things like Islam Awareness Week, it shouldn't be just for that one week. We put so much effort into that one particular week, but what happens the rest of the year? We need to start to look at it as a... As a it should be a part of our life how we behave, what our character is like. So again, sometimes you have to go back to the fundamental because whatever good work you do can be undone by one person. You usually look at the news for the last four weeks. But subhanAllah, at the same time, I know it's a sad state of affairs that happened at Finchley, uh, at um, Finsbury Park Mosque. But to some extent, there was a blessing in what happened. Because suddenly, if you look at the media narratives changed. Mm. In the last week, yes. the media narrative changed because of the imam. As because well. of the imam, number one, and secondly, because somebody else now thought, you know, it's okay to attack Muslims because of what one Muslim did somewhere else. The narrative changed, and we need to take control of that narrative and show by our actions that imam story. No matter what anybody, say, you know, people are, you know, cussing him at the moment, saying, you know, why did you save him? Why did you stop him? That is one of the biggest blessings this country for years since nine eleven. That is probably one of the most powerful stories, because that has resonated with every politician with every celebrity you sit down in front to listen to the news reviews everybody's talking about the same story that you know Muslims are merciful individuals so our character needs to come out a bit more than what it does at the moment we don't show enough of it we need to be proud we have a jewel in our hands so it starts from the very very basics of how we react and what our character is about and then going on further to look at you know the likes of Islam Awareness Week or Radio Ramadan and stuff you know media projects whatever it might be that are running on a regular basis so th th there has to be a concerted effort all year round we can't just suddenly stop one day and say oh there's been an attack let's do something about it let's do a demonstration let's give flowers out why do we have to do those things if we were behaving properly in the first place we wouldn't have to do those things anyway yeah. you know a very good point, Nain, very good point. I think, uh, and in addition, I think the response to the Grenfell uh, Tower it's fire... It's phenomenal, <coughs> phenomenal. non-Muslim ladies are saying, thank God for yeah. Ramadan, and one of yes. them made a comment is that you always talk about them when there's something something bad exactly. happens, right? So I think... Yeah, and and yeah. you know what, I put, and I was in London, the day yeah. after it happened, I went down, I was there a couple of days ago as well, it actually put the media on the back foot. Exactly. Mm. The narrative changed at Grenfell as well, so these mm. last two or three weeks, as much as been loss of life unfortunately there's been you know terrorist attacks but actually subhanallah you know with every difficulty there is ease there's been a change in the narrative there's been a change in outlook and thinking so you know what there is, you know we are a community we need to stand up against whether it's black white yellow muslim not muslim whatever faith there might be against anybody who tries to harm us mm -hmm. and I, th I think that's the interesting piece Sh sheikh ridwan referred to on, on one of the excellent shows reflections which is where sheikh ridwan refers to the orphaned ummah and, and I've been reflecting off, you know, we interviewed 70 elderly people to talk about identity. What does it mean? Are you Scottish? Are you Muslim? Are you Pakistani? Are you British? And, and we did a fa fascinating a set of case studies. And I, I would say we're actually, in a weird way, we, are dis we have a dislocated identity. And we are in search of an identity as this lost diaspora of these Muslims living in non-Muslim lands, which even there's no thick books on how to, uh, how to live here as a permanent settled community. So in search of this identity, among people go towards this Muslim and non-Muslim thing. 
and speaking to a lot of my friends in London, it was easier to be Muslim rather than to say you're Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan or Arab or whatever, because it's even more cosmopolitan there. So, so I think that's that's fascinating. But it goes to to the essence of how do we? What's our fundamental ontological perspective? How do we see the world? Are we just as exactly defined by this identity, or as name says, these are common causes for our common humanity? And when we when we flip that, I think it makes a massive difference in how we approach our work. I mean, two specific examples. One, I think one just recently was a fantastic event which um, uh, Asma Ali and the SPME team led um, and with the big the big iftar or the big get together and the, and the great iftar whatever that was and it, it was fantastic to see a number of people from the church from the armed services from the police and other counselors come together 67% of them were non-Muslims there that day to open fast with us in Eastwood Parish Church at 10 past 10 in, in the evening which was just fantastic so I think work like that is really really excellent and, and needs to be taken forward but also one of the other projects we launched recently with the with the Church of Scotland in, in my work in Islamic finance was we, we got together and decided we're going to create an ethical finance solution which is open to everyone in society regardless of race religion or ethnic background but based and created off the shared values between the faith traditions so I think that's that's an, another excellent example of where you can do things, which is for everyone in society, but you just use your faith values to inspire that and work together with people on shared values. So I think there's a lot for a lot more for us to be doing in that space rather than working in our own ghettos and having a ghetto mindset. Sheikh, you, you had a few thoughts. Um, yeah, just just this uh, idea that you're talking about Muslims and non-Muslims and and should we be doing stuff for the wider community. Um, the the thing is that we, I mean, when we we talk about, we're quite, I would say, we're quite proud that we're Scottish and we, we kind of live in this place and we're quite happy with a lot of um, the values that Scotland has. Not we don't agree with everything. I'm sure uh, whiskey is is not um, uh, a high priority, although it's a, a great <laughs> a great uh, Scottish product um, and it's quite world famous. But you know, there's always going to be certain things that we don't agree with. But the thing is, um, I always think of how the Prophet وسلم, used to used to look at people, used to look at society, and one of the the most um, uh, profound uh, statements I always think of is in the Battle of Uhud. In the Battle of Uhud, if you as you remember, it was the second Battle of Islam, the Battle of Badr. It was a, it was a revenge battle against uh, the defeat that the Quraysh had in the Battle of Badr, which actually incidentally took place in the 17th of Ramadan. And uh, what happened was in the Battle of Uhud. Um, remember, these are people trying to kill the Prophet. It's a war situation. So the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, make dua on them because you're, you're the Prophet of God. If you make dua, it's accepted. So the Prophet makes a dua and says, Allahumma hdi qawmi fa innahum la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, guide my people because they don't know what they're doing. He didn't ask for their destruction, um, he asked for their guidance. And the interesting thing is, he said, Qawmi, my people. So these were people trying to kill him, but he viewed them as these are my people. Now, if you have that mindset that this is my country or this is these are my people, the Quraysh were his enemies. They were trying to kill him, right? They were not your interfaith people, right? Yet the prophet says the vision was that no, these are my people, 
I've got a response, and, and my and what is my responsibility is to is to bring guidance to them, irrespective of what's going to happen. So the same thing should 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 apply to our minds is that this thing of I know you're kind of getting at that us and them kind of idea. It's not us and them. It's yes, there is obviously there's going to be certain things I'm going to have more in common with somebody who has, who believes in the same prophet as me and the same God as me, of course. But at a wider scale, at a wider scale, um, they're also part of they're also my people. In the same way that the Prophet looked at them, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, "Walaqad karamna bani Adam," that we have honoured the children of mm. of 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 man. In other words, all human being, all life is uh, has sanctity. Everybody in society has a value because they're a human being. Allah has created them, and we have examples in in not only the time of the Prophet but time of the the Sahaba, where I remember uh, Sayyidina Umar um, saw this old Jewish man, and he was begging. And he said, "Why are you begging?" He goes, "Because I I don't have any money." And and uh, and he basically said, "He goes, it's not just that. Well, this man was young and he was contributing to the state. Then now we've left him. So he he and he 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 said, um, you know, he stipulated a certain amount to be given to him. So this this the rahma, this kind of compassion was always shown to every single human being. It wasn't just for." Just the Muslim community, or just uh, you know people that are, are similar to us. It was for for everybody. And then, if we have that understanding and that uh, vibe goes out, then people automatically feel it. Whereas if you have this us and them attitude, then they feel that vibe as well. That that, that these people you know view themselves as different from me. So it's it's not it's not difficult. It's just about doing sometimes projects which benefit everyone. I remember very early on when I was still studying I did this, I wrote this booklet on what Islam says, really says about domestic abuse and I was asked to present at the social work. So I remember I was presenting it and a social work woman she put her, uh, a social worker she put her uh, hand up. She said, can I ask you just really interested, like, what's your motivation in doing this? Because she goes, this is a women's topic and I thought she's just, she's gobsmacked that there's a man for a start Two, he's got a big beard, right? And he's the kind of guy I thought would probably be doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's defending yeah. women. I don't, I don't get it. It's not yeah. two plus two doesn't equal four here. And I just said to her, I said, look, you know, in our faith, we have a statement by our prophet that says, if you see, a, if you see a wrong action, you all know the hadith. If you see a wrong action, you change it with your your hand. If you can't, then you change it with your tongue. If you can't, you change it in your heart. So I said, we have a duty when we see something wrong to do something about it. I said, I'm a scholar. I see something wrong here. I see manipulation of texts to justify domestic abuse. So I'm doing my bit. But I said, I will do that whether it's against men, whether it's against women, whether it's against children, even when it's against the environment or, or animals, because that's what my responsibility is. And she was just like shocked by that answer. So people actually don't know what what are, what are Muslims all about. There's actually been a few people that have become Muslim since the the last couple of weeks that Naim's talking about yeah. people have become Muslim even with everything that's <coughs> happened and, and, and what, what's convinced them it's not been theological discussions it's been the actions of Muslims they thought wait a minute these people are not like that sure. okay here, guys so it's past two o'clock just now so can I just add something briefly Naim because I want to move on to yeah, okay, calm down. A bit, something a bit competitive mm-hmm. actually yeah. listen before you do it no, seriously yeah, go on. No, a couple of things can we just say salam to Kashir Shad who's Messaging me every five minutes. He's watching everything. He we wants do. a Mexican wave, by the way. He wants a Mexican so. wave. <laughs> 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 right, Nadim, start, start, start from that side. Mex- Mexican, Mexican wave. wave. 
Oh, it's a big dance. That's a big dance. On a serious note, just following on from this particular part, because a lot of what Sheikh Hamer said is, is to some extent theological, and we think about it, it's in the, it's in the past, yeah? In reality, you know, we also need to break into the social fabric of our society. The things that are halal for us to do, we need to do more of them. So, for example, I'm going to take something really simple. Go and watch Celtic play, forget Rangers, right? Go, go and watch Celtic play on a regular basis. Seriously, because, you know, you need to engage and interact with people on things that we're allowed to do. We obviously can't go to the pub before the game and all the rest of it. But the other, you know, watching the game itself, getting to know people, being in the crowd, understanding. Uh, football just one example. There's other elements of life, and I think we don't do enough. There are other football level. teams available in Glasgow, aren't there? Yeah. Listen, uh, what I'm trying to say is that we, I don't think we do enough on a social level. You know, we seem to be scared. We should be strong enough as a community to be able to go out and do the things that we socially want to do. And that interaction alone shouldn't only happen because something bad's happened somewhere. You know, there's been a, there's been a, an attack somewhere. We need to go out and you know we need to be able to be in a comfortable position to do those things on a regular basis. So I think as a society, we do need to interact a lot more on a social level, not just because something's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so let, let's put it down to practical approach. terms. What is that we can do? You know. Very briefly, Nadim. Then I'm going no, to move on to I, the next part. I, I think these guys are thinking exactly the same wavelength because uh, what I was thinking was, you know, we uh, for a little while I noticed that everything was about, you know, you're in the scouts. Let's have Muslim scouts. Yeah. Have a football team. Let's have a Muslim football team. You want to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu? It's Muslim Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, that's applause. You know, I, that's it. That's it. So, and Muslim radio station. Muslim, Muslim radio station. Oops. Get off. Get off. So, yeah. So, but, but but now I think it's like like you said, it's like self-imposed prison. Yeah. I think it's time to get out of prison. Get out into the light. Let's be part of the wider community and show them what we've got. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's enough clout even on social media forget the media or the politicians or the council there's enough class on social media if you're involved in something and it's going against you you can make a change right you can do things to make a change I don't know if you heard the story recently the young kids that went to school the young boys they, they weren't mm. allowed to wear shorts because it's so hot in the class yeah. they had to wear trousers so they came in the next day wearing skirts because the girls could wear them <laughs> and the schools changed the policy but the story went viral so you know we, we shouldn't have to be scared anymore to think, you know, we actually need our own Muslim scouts. No, we can go in and make the change. Yeah. We can make the demand. The, you know, no matter what you say about the rules and regulation, in this country, the law backs you. As a, a, as a minority, no matter what you are, even if you're a Jedi or a Muslim, you've got the right to do what you, what you need to do. So I think, you know, on a social level, on an engagement level, I'm 100% with you. There are certain things that, you know, we need to have as Muslims because there's no other way. But generally, a lot of things that Muslims can't solve, you know, but, we need to get out there. It, but it's to do with what you feel comfortable with, isn't it? I, I, it's, I know it's difficult, but it's kind of, you have to go outside your comfort zone a little bit. But, you know, that's well, why that, people that's, say that's actually... That's very similar to what Sheikh Hamad just said, in look, even looking at your career. You have to jump out into the dark, into the dark yeah, into the yeah. unknown. We have to do the same here. We actually have to take some risks. Yeah. And unless we take the risk, we're just sitting there comfortable, trying to do our own little thing. I think those days are over. We need to start to focus as a community. And there is a lot of that happening. But I think we need to do more of start it. The change. Great. So um, we're going to take a, a bit of a break from what we're discussing just now. So Zach if, you, if you're joining us, it's Radio Ramadan, 87.7 FM. Um, we need to do two things, guys. So one is Eid prayers and timings. One of you have got the 
um, sheets there, so oh, can you announce yeah. that? Nine the other thing then to, uh, is we've we've stolen. Sheikh Cameron had the other half. It's written on the back of it. What he said, he's not doing it tomorrow. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the other aspect which we're going to come on to is we're still st- stealing a bit of Ramiz's sh- popular show. He's going to do a quiz with you guys, head to head. So I'll give him a few minutes to make up some questions. So I, while we were talking there, I just kind of wrote some. Now normally we play countdown music in the background just to make it tense. I don't know if you guys have it, the guys on the desk. So if you go into the evening drive time folder. Evening drive time folder, b- b- technical people, and we're going to find the countdown. Want it to be thing. tense. So I need two people. One, you know, go well, head to head. Let, let's get these e timings, and I'll hand over yeah. to the games master Ramiz. So name. Right. So e timings for uh, Glasgow and the surrounding area are as follows. Let's just run through it, pal. Glasgow Central Mosque. It's at 5am, don't know who's going to be up, mind you, we could still be up at that time. 8am, 10am and 11.30am. Madrasa Ziaul Quran in Kenya Street is 8am, 9am, 10am, 11am. Jami Islamia, 7am, 9am, 10am and the 10am Jamaat is for brothers and sisters. Masjid al-Furqan is at 8 o'clock, 8.45, 9.30, 10.15, 10.45 in Carrington Street. Madrasa Tadimul Islam is 5am and 7am on Nistil Road. Masjid al-Khizra is 5.38am. Oh, hold on. Yeah, it's on Monday, mind you. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Right? So just anybody turns up there tomorrow. Masjid al-Khizr, as far as I know, is actually celebrating either Monday. It's at 5.30 a.m., 8 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. Masjid Ibrahim on Pacey Road West. Don't know where it is. Is that the... Yeah, yeah. That's the P- oh, that's P- what, it's West that's okay. what it's called. Okay. 5.30 a.m., 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Lanarkshire Mosque. Is Lanarkshire somewhere? Is that the Bodwell? It's the Ho- Holy Town. Yeah, Holy Town Mosque. Mosque. 6.30 a.m., 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Zakaria Masjid in Wishaw is 8.45 a.m. and 10.15. Govan Hill Neighbourhood Centre in Daisy Street is 9.30. BMACC. Bears Den. Bears Den, 8 a.m. and 9.15. Mab Scotland Centre is 7.30 and at 9 o'clock. Mary Hill, you remember that? A lot of days there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming on Masjid, 9 o'clock. Minhaj Quran in Rutherglen, 8.30 and 10 a.m. Madrasatul Medina, Nidri Road. Wow. There's more almost in shops, mashallah. Um, 6 a.m., 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Still more charities. Still more charities, that's true. <laughs> Masjid al Farooq is 6 a.m., 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. All Jama'a have space for sisters available in Dixon Avenue. Darul Quran on Paisley Road, uh, in Paisley Road, Renfrew is 9 o'clock. Andalus in the West End is 10.15 a.m. And the last page is Wood Farm Centre, 7.30 and 9.30 a.m. Coatbridge Islamic Centre, 9.30 a.m. Masjid al-Farooq in Bishop Briggs is 9 a.m. Mina Centre, 8.30 and 10 a.m. Samsa is in Martha Street at 9.30 a.m. And finally, East Renfrew Mosque, 7.30 and 9.30 a.m. And if you're praying in Nigeria, I think it's 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And it's important that people continue to dig deep and give as much as they can throughout the month for all of these centres and for the rest of the year. But then compare this compare this to the... Compare I this, love that. Say that again. Compare this to... <laughs> now, I'm just curious. Compare this to the first year you probably read at the... Do you know what? There was probably, probably like two mosques. Two, two mosques, not there? 21 years ago, it's Glasgow yeah. Centre Mosque, Masjid Farqan. Yeah. Maybe Masih Khizra, I think three or four, man. You'd have have them done within two minutes. So the next few minutes, I'm going to hold on to you guys a little bit longer. I'm going to hand over to Ramiz. He's the quiz master. Now, you explain for some of the listeners, Ramiz, that don't get a chance to tune into your drive time show. Can we Google? Let's do a couple of rounds of this if we can. Well, I've only got questions for one round right now, but we'll see. Right. Uh, so we're going to go Dr. Aman against Sheikh Hammer. No, no, that's okay. I, I'm, that, I'm, no, no, I'm the quiz master. No, no, no. <laughs> pick some other guys. Okay, so we'll do Dr. Nadim against Sheikh 
hammer. Oh, um, so it's 30 seconds. Have you got the countdown? Okay, so it's 30 seconds, 10 questions. I can only take your first answer. If you don't know the answer, say pass. So it's 10 very simple questions. The only things are against the times you have to try to get it. Um, so did both of you understand those uh, so those rules? Say, what's going on so here? Oh, I have no idea what's right. happening. 10 questions, 30 seconds. Get as many right as possible. I can only take your first answer. If you don't know the answer, say pass. Against him. You're against Dr. Right, right, okay. Now, the thing is, it's right, the same question, so what I need is for someone either to leave the room during or so put headphones on. you pop so out for a wee minute. Oh, right, okay. So if you, you move to the room at the end so you can't right. hear it. Okay. And please, no cheating, Allah's watching. And our security just makes sure he can't hear any yep. of the... Manowers in the booth, so... This is, I only got 74% for iSyllabus, so I'm going to get it <laughs> So, um, as I said, once you've got the... So if you want to put your headphones on so you can hear the timer, Sheikh Hammer. Um, so I'm going to tell Imran, who's on that, when to play it. Um, so it's the countdown theme tune. I said 30 seconds, 10 questions. Right, are you good to go, Sheikh Hammer? Yeah, go. You good to go? Three... Wait, let me put the headphones on as well so I can also hear the timer. Um, okay, three, two... One. What? What's the pH of water? Pass. Uh, what surah is known as the peak of the Quran? The peak of the Quran? Yep. There's a hadith about it. You should probably know this. Pass. What's the capital of Pakistan? Okay. <laughs> Islamabad. What's the world's deadliest animal? Shark. <laughs> How old is Raja Ramadan this year? 21. What is uh, Raja Ramadan's phone, uh, phone number? I have no idea. Who is the president of Egypt? Uh, CC. How old is the Queen? Uh, <laughs> and your time is up. Your time is up. No, I actually just had to estimate that timing because no, they no, didn't play the thing. Five more seconds. Okay, I'll give you the next oh, one. So, how old is the Queen? Did you get this one? Two. Um, and what was the Prophet Salam's mother's name? Uh, Amina. Okay. Time up. So you didn't do particularly well over there, well, but I didn't. I will bring in. <laughs> so can we get Nadim back in? Half of them were I said it was question. <laughs> yeah. peak the peak of the Quran. So the Prophet, so some before he comes in, said that everything has a peak, and Bakra is the peak of the Quran. So say hadith. It's a weak hadith. No, no, it's not weak. It's authentic. Uh, yeah. This is when the sheikh is shaking his head. <laughs> Nads, you're gonna kill it. You're gonna kill it, man. No, no, no. So, no. Nads, you might as well go home right now. What, what is the thigh bone called or something? <laughs> so, if you want to take this mic, I'm right. gonna teach you. Yeah, mics. I'm getting my revenge for I syllabus. Umran, can you get this timer? So, the timer didn't work last time, so. Yeah. We'll try and get it otherwise. I'm uh, in the studio here. So, I just dropped a I'll time it on my mobile as well. I've got it here, so. Let me just hide these questions a wee bit. Okay, are we good to go, Umran? Yeah, okay, thanks we're good to go. We'll see if it's second time lucky. Dr. Nadim, ready? Okay, right, right. You know the rules, right? Right, no. But okay. go Just on. give an answer. Right, seconds, go on. 10 questions. I can only take your first answer. If you don't know the answer, say pass. Don't, te- okay. don't spend too much time okay. on the one question. Okay. I can't joke. <laughs> Three, two, one. What's the pH of water? Seven. Which surah is known as the peak of the Quran? Uh, surah uh, Fatiha. Uh, what's the capital of Pakistan? Islamabad. What's the world's deadliest animal? Shark. <laughs> How old is Rachel Ramadan this year? Say it again. How old is Rachel Ramadan this year? 21. <laughs> uh, what is Rachel Ramadan's phone number? 01413753434. Uh, who is the president of Egypt? And your time mm. is up. Ah! So right, we're going to go through there. Easy. <laughs> Too late for that one. Um, okay, so we'll go through the answers over there and see how you guys got on. pH of water, Sheikh Hammer. Oh my god. 
It's well known since seven, since one nil to Dr. Nadim. Uh, which so doesn't on the peak of the crown. Neither of you got this one, so Ooh. it's Ooh. Um Okay, Capital Pakistan, you both got Islamabad. Uh, what's the world's deadliest animal? It's definitely not a shark. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do, how, many, how many humans die a year from sharks? You know? uh, it's actually a mosquito, 650,000 oh, people right, a year. Right, right, right. Yeah, Good one, right, right. Um, how old is Radio Ramadan? You both got this one, 21, so you were listening earlier. Um, so that currently makes it 3-1. Uh, uh, right. No, 3-2, sorry. What is 74% The president of Egypt Sheikh Hamer got this one CC oh. Which makes it 3-all um, So gets through You stopped over there Where Sheikh Hamer went on To the next question So how old is the queen You said 92 She's 91 <laughs> However you also made it To the last question Which was What is the prophet son's mother's name And you did get oh. right Amina So you won 4-3 oh. There's no prize, by the way. Um, but yeah, well done on that. Exactly. Thank you, Ramiz. So we're gonna go for. Let's have a little, little Nasheed break. I think guys have been speaking for uh, a couple hours almost. So uh, we're supposed to finish at two o'clock actually. So we'll have a quick. Keep you to see if you're actually fast. <laughs> so we're gonna go for a short break, um, and we'll be back. Uh, and we'll have a wee think whether to, if you want us to carry on or not, inshallah. But so you've got preparation. Who knows? I know Rashid watching. Way. Yes. Okay. Zakhir. So uh, we'll be back shortly. If we can get the technical side sorted. Oh, we're still on. Something else playing new. We're still on we're still here. Still on Are we going for a Nasheed break? Ramiz, you can't get it working. Can you have a wheel? Um, okay, I'm, is that is that I'm, so I'm being given a thumbs down saying it's not working right now. So I guess we're going to. Um, so can I ask everyone what are your Eid traditions as a family? Sheikh Hamid, can we please turn that video off? <laughs> we're still on air. We, uh, Doctor Oman, Eid schedule. What do you guys do? Sheikh Hamid. It's not, there's some technical difficulties right now, so that's. Um, we have to keep going to this. That's the topic I'm asking right now, so. To be honest, Eid prayer with the family, uh, outlaws, mum and dad, and that's it, home. Nothing, nothing, nothing more than that. Because I'm only home at the weekend, the odd day here and there, so really it's a family day more than anything else. Um, now, Sheikh Hammer, can you tell us what you're up to tomorrow? No, no, he can't tell you that, but he'll tell you what he does on Eid day. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what I do on Eid day. Eid day, basically, uh, I'm related to half a Glasgow, so I spend uh, most of my day going through, and I still don't get through all my relatives. Because so, I have a lot of people, I thought they were just making up that they're related to. Oh, no, Every no, second person are. I meet is like, oh yeah, I'm related to Sheikh Amr, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Dr. Nadim? No, my, mine is basically the same. Uh, Namaz, probably at Glasgow Central, and uh, then back at home with the family. That's it. Are we still having technical problems here? Cause, yeah. uh, Omar, uh, your traditions on Eid, what do you get up to? Uh, standard, standard, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> par for the course, just uh, Samia, it all starts off with Samia, which I normally cook the night before, and I'm the only one who gets to eat them for obvious reasons, uh, and then off to the mosque, there's always a debate in the house, do we go for the first namaz straight after mm -hmm. Fajr? And, we, you know, we did five so. o'clock last year, yeah, slept the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so while we wait for some technical Listen, Nadim can give us a nasheed, it's not we'll, a problem. We'll, we'll keep going inshallah. So, um, <laughs> you guys choose, the, I've got five other topics I had here, we've covered two out of seven there. How long are we staying here for? So, so as soon as we get a nasheed going, we'll have a discussion, but uh, so... Ruiz, can you p perhaps pop out and see if you can, yeah, or yeah, can I'll you control it from here? No, no, I'll find out what's going on. We're listening. 
I think so. Who knows, I think man? More to the point, is this a hood available? <laughs> <laughs> There's a few people watching on Facebook, etc. We had a few comments coming in, so I think there are perhaps people listening. But um, Nadim, were you going? Yeah, was, you know, you asked me about some questions. I was thinking, well, what questions have I got asked about? I, I came up with one. Oh, and let's do just, that. Right, yeah. Do let's you want to do that? Ask you okay, well, that this is not uh, not a very serious one, but I just thought I'd ask, right? If you had to pick three people that you'd have dinner with, and non-religious, obviously we're Muslims, so we'll probably see the prophet. Who would you, who would you have throughout history? Anybody alive or dead? How about you? <laughs> me first. So I think um, that's a great question, actually. For me. <laughs> I think Malcolm X was one that is a big role model ever since I read his autobiography. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali as well mm-hmm. has been fascinating. Um, and I don't know, I think somebody like Nelson Mandela is also... Mm-hmm. It's a big black civil rights. I was going to say, <laughs> it's, 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 a, a, it's, a, it's a black thing. Black, black <laughs> thing. Uh, but I, I also found these um, people in history fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, that would be an amazing one. So I don't know who who wants mm-hmm. to take the next few. Omar? Right, which economist would you like to sit and <laughs> discuss with? Yeah, economist. Warren yeah. Buffett. Yeah, they're all messed up. Uh, okay, without without going down religious. Li- well, I think or? we'd all. I know, okay. listen, we'd probably so, so all. So leave, leaving aside something like that, so yeah. right? Then uh, I think a few people in in recent times, modern times. I think Nelson Mandela. I absolutely agree with you, man. I think that'd be phenomenal. I'd love to hear from um, uh, Mansa Musa, who was from Malawi, who was one of the okay. richest men uh, to have ever lived, mm-hmm. uh, and and his story of Africa back then would be phenomenal. And I think the other person I'd be really keen to have dinner with would be Lady Evelyn Cobalt, who mm. passed away, who was one of the first ever uh, uh, Scottish British Muslim converts, right. and would be fascinated to hear about Islam. In, in the late 19th century in Britain and, and the early 20th. So that's oh. three people. Well, what, what about going to the other side of the fence? Mm-hmm. The Ferrons, the Hitlers. Yeah, why not? It, it might be interesting. That, the other side yeah. of the fence that committed yep. atrocities are evil. Yes. Try and find out what actually ticked them and got them there. That'd so, be who, so who would be the three? Pick? Uh, no, I haven't thought of the three. I'm just thinking, right. you know what, we're all thinking about the really good people, Don't which is obviously commendable. Mm-hmm. How about sitting with people that actually did, they also changed the course of history, yes. but for their own reasons. Yes. To understand what was actually going on there. But I mean, for me, yeah, names like Ali, Mandela, um, you know, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. those kind of individuals, you know, you mentioned Lady Even Cobalt, you know, people like that that changed the course of history, that were the first in doing what they did. Mm-hmm. But equally, I think it would be fascinating to sit with people that did something on the other side of the fence that actually changed the course of history for their own reasons. But what made them actually, you know, do that? There's some fascinating individuals out there. So, Sheikh and Ramiz, Ramiz, I know you popped out. So, Nadim's <coughs> question was, which three people would you most like to have dinner with? Mm. And uh, excluding also the Prophet peace be upon him and the Sahaba, etc. So, um, okay, in history, um, Nadim's point is actually quite interesting because I think I would like to sort of see for someone like Hitler, where did the mentality come from to actually go for some politics against power and then to actually do what he did? Um, I don't know. Maybe can Sheikh Hammer can you answer first? I might get some more inspiration just to think, think about it. <laughs> think about it a bit longer. I was outside. You had more time to think. I, I so. did consume that chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did ask me while there was like a lunch chocolate just in my mouth. Sorry. So, uh, so it can't be it can't be like a Sahaba or it can't be it can't be a scholar. Uh, yeah, scholar I think okay. that would be too. Um, I think 
can't be any of them. I think um, William Quilliam probably Quilliam would be one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the the first kind of uh, Muslim in, in the in the UK who set up the first mosque, and I'd love to see how he had that that, that kind of experience at that time, um, and how he ran the mosque and, and what challenges he faced and how he overcame them. Um, probably Malcolm X as well, mm-hmm. um, and going back a little bit in history. Uh, I would actually really, int- I'd be really interesting to meet Muhammad Fatih, which was the 21-year-old who conquered Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So speaking to a 21-year-old who is in charge of such a about a, a large army, to see what 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 what, what I mean, how can you at that age be able to lead such an expedition? What kind of qualities had he, and how did he get those qualities at such a young age? Islahuddin Ayyubi. <coughs> yeah. Fascinating. Ramiz? Yeah, I'm, st- I'm still stumped, so... Oh, yeah. um, I think just trying to narrow it down to limit to... to I mean, that, did you say how many people, or is it just... Three. Three, I three people. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's quite difficult, especially in sort of the course of history. Um, I suppose having someone like Ferron would be very interesting, be terrifying. <laughs> Uh, it would be yeah. terrifying, but it would be interesting. Remember, it's, it's dinner. The idea is not, he's, he's not able to hurt you. Is it going, exactly. Is it going to be me for dinner? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little story, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, some of that would be interesting. Um, I suppose the villains in history think you might get more of an interesting conversation out of them. Great. So, exactly yeah. right. Next one, who's going to ask another? Who's, who's got a next question for the other panellists? Naeem and Sheikh, can I maybe ask some of the, the, the older panellists? So have you kind of... We're older than you. Yeah. Um, have you imagined yourselves uh, when you were my age and then where you are now, do you think you've achieved the goals that you set yourself at that time? I'm 22. At your age, I was, what, I was a mess. So do you think, have you imagined yourself back then and kind of look at yourself now, do you think you've achieved the goals that you wanted to achieve at the time or do you think your life is kind of totally different to what you were expecting? I, I remember I was 24. Um... And I remember there was one other another guy who'd done law with me, and um, I'd met him outside some. So this is about, two, about three years into my studies now. Um, so I remember I had this conversation with him just outside Samsa, and he was in his suit and he had his umbrella and he and I was, he's got a, he got himself a traineeship. So in, in law you had to do a degree, you had to do a diploma, and then you had to get a traineeship. Now everyone gets a traineeship, so it's a bit of a you know hurdle. So people who get it, they're really obviously happy because that's their, they're on their way to becoming um, solicitors. So he'd done well and uh, he looked apart and um, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm working for a really good firm and this and that and all the rest of it. And, and this was in the backdrop of what your parents had been telling you and the community had been telling you that you're making a big mistake. And, and I had this conversation with him and um, I remember I looked up and I thought, damn, have I done the wrong thing? <laughs> Is everyone like the 95% people yeah. told me not to do this? Were they right and I was wrong? Because I'm looking at myself and I'm still wearing the same clothes I had at uni. It felt as if I hadn't moved on, whereas he had. And I, and I remember he, he left. And I, I was just standing there in the middle of the road and thinking. And, and, and he walked off and I was probably stood there for five minutes. And then I just started looking at everybody. Everyone's like rushing this way, rushing that way, rushing this way, rushing that way. And I thought to myself, no. And I remember saying this to myself. I said, I don't want to get to 40 and look back at my life and think, man, I should have done it. Or what if I'd done it? And I'm 40 now. I'm 40 years, no, years old now. And I remember that moment that I actually thought, when I get to 40, I don't want to look back at my life and have regrets. And I can now look back at the age of 40 at my life and have, and I don't have any regrets. I think for me, because you know, I feel like university, 
So no direction in life at all. <laughs> that, that's because you don't finish any books, mate. You'd read some books. Two so wait, at, at that age, then, where did you think your life was going to end honest, up? I didn't have a clue. Okay. I, just, I, just, I just went with the flow. And uh, still does. It still does. <laughs> even, even to this day, I mean, I think a man asked me that question when he did the interview. He said, well, you know, what's your plans for the future? I have no idea. Uh, everything, whether it was Islam Channel, Radio Ramadan, whether it's, you know, the charity sector I worked in, the stuff that... That's all just happened. It's just been an opportunity that came to me and I took it with both hands. Um, <clears throat> and it took me... And I think when I think back to it now, if I had done some of the things that I did now in the last 10 years, you know, when I was at 22 or 20 or even at 32 or 42, it wouldn't have worked. I didn't have the right character for it. Um, so I think everything that happened to me happened at the right time. That I could actually deal with the, you know, the, the status of standing on stage or sitting on television, etc. <coughs> I think it happened at the right times, but I didn't have a clue. And I said, every part of the journey has just been mm-hmm. day by day. Uh, ideally, when you go into a project, you know, I'm expecting to spend two or three years on it. Yeah. What comes around the corner, I have no idea. I mean, I've just taken on the position of CEO at a brand new charity called One Family. I know what it's going to look like in two years' time, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I haven't planned that in two years' time. This is what I'm going to do. I have no idea. So growing up... very fortunate. Yeah, did, uh, did not having a plan ever scare you? Um, you know, it's, fr- it's never scared me, but there comes a point after two years or so that I start to think, right, what am I going to do next? And I'll start to ask a few people and just something will come around the corner and think, you know what, this is it. And I, my heart's got to be in it. And that's the only, it's, it's never been about, you know, making money, having a secure job. It's got to be something, you know what, this is going to change the direction of what we're doing. So when I went to Islamic Relief or when I set the training company up, I knew that was going to be, it's going to be a milestone. Nobody's ever done it. When I went to Islamic Relief, that campaign management position I took on, nobody else had done that before. Muslim Youth Helpline was unique. Human Appeal was, you know, three and a half million. Five years later, we're at 35 million. And, you know, there was a challenge there. So for me, it's always been about finding a challenge. You know, he's just mentioned about the Scottish Wakf kind of idea. I put it on my phone straight away, thinking, you know what, maybe that's the next thing I need to do. So it's, it's, for me, it's more about what benefit is it going to bring to people around me rather than for myself. Uh, you know what? what is the next big thing that's going to actually change the direction of what we're doing the course of history and, and when I say the course of history it's not going to make it on a global scale but certainly within my world and people around me it's going to make a difference so even the new charity I wouldn't have moved from Human Appeal to take on what I did because if I didn't see that it was going to be, it was going to be something different and already alhamdulillah the language the people involved in is very different from what's out there so I think you know if we my, my opinion is always that you should do something with the intention it's going to make a change in people's lives and not just your own life and I always say to people in business, if you're in it for the money, alhamdulillah, carry on. But if you're in it for trying to serve people, that's a different ballgame. In the sector, you're serving people, you're, you're at Sheikh Hamas level. I'm sure his intention, without a doubt, was to serve people because he saw the fact that we weren't getting what we needed. Um, and it's finding gaps in the market. And that's why, you know, we need to invest in people who can actually go out and serve our community and, and, and help to lead them. So, yeah, you know, for a 22, man, I didn't have a clue. I was, you know, I was in debt. Um, had a lot of problems, a lot of major problems, and I was in a, I was in a, I was in a black hole to be honest at that time. But alhamdulillah, you know things happened. And I remember the, the first job I got, a proper job. Up until then, I was a, <clears throat> I was a disc jockey. Yeah. <laughs> and during the day, I used to sell jeans in the market. <laughs> and I also had a job at William Hill the bookies. I used to put, used to put the the prices up on the board <laughs> before the television screens came in. 
And then I used to work in a, at the weekend also in a, as a job in a in a shop called Hoi Polloi in Union Street. Hoi <laughs> Polloi. <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Did, you, did you used to shop there as well? Oh, we did. did yeah, I think there. you sold me a dodgy pair of flares. <laughs> <or something. laughs> and, Have uh, you been stalking these people? Yeah. You go to the restaurant. <laughs> you go to the Hoi Polloi. And you know everything happens for a reason. The funniest thing that when I found the job in the civil service, I was standing at my dad's shop in Lark Hall. The Daily Jank. Yeah. And I used to have an English section. Civil service, people want to. And luckily, I had my A-levels. Applied for it, got the job. Name, I thought you would have gone for the faith healer that can cure 50 different <laughs> <laughs> You know, do some rookie out on you. Oh, yeah. Call this premium hotline. <laughs> 1.50 a minute so, hotline. Do you know what? I think it's not the best way to live life. Um, you know, but I think some of us, it's just the way it was made for us. We were just meant to take risks. We were just meant to not have a plan. And other people, you know, rightly so, they sit down, you know, want to become a doctor, I want to become this or whatever, and they've got a plan in mind, they're, they're working towards it from the day they're literally born. But some of us, you know what, it just happened, alhamdulillah, and, and, and it, you know, it was, a, it was a throw of the dice and just worked out. Omar, what do you reckon? <clears throat> um, I, I, can I just, and I, I've just got to say something, because when you were saying that, I remember uh, something you said, and... We, we said this off air, and oddly enough, it was in your dad's restaurant, and I met Naim there. This was th this is you, this is absolutely true. There must be a reason why you're sitting there, but this happened in your dad's restaurant. And there was a, I think you guys used to do. Your dad used to have a kind of end of year Christmas party or something like for the staff. There was there was something, uh, there was something right, and I, I was there, and Naim was there, and I remember something. I didn't have a beard then. He's wearing a suit, very very different. You know, my my brother-in-law used to work there. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. That's why I went. But, ah, is that why you were there, right? Right, right. But I remember we were talking and... No, but you, you said something. Again. <laughs> that's why Sheikh left Glasgow. <laughs> but, no, but Naim said something that very much stuck in my mind then. He said, look, success isn't driving your Merc to the cash and carry. Even though we'd like to have one. Even though you'd like to have one now, it sounded quite good. No, but, you know, but I, but I, but I stuck in my mind, even when, you know, when you did your program, Amanullah, and I thought that, you know, I was listening to that, and I thought, you know, man, Alhamdulillah, you haven't been driving your Merc to the cash and carry. So that's, you know, it's a good sort of metaphor I mean, for, you know. I mean, it was, it's, you know, it's difficult to convince people around you. Mm. Yeah. Because your family judge you by how much money you're making, what kind of car you're driving, what kind of house are we living in. You know, look at them, they're doing so well. You know, so you have to, I had to fight a lot of those battles. And to be honest, as I said, you know, everything was, was spurred at the moment. I remember when I was on the verge of leaving Islamic Relief at that time, and I was, Osama Said had the Scottish Muslim Awards in Edinburgh. Mm. He asked me to go and host them. That was the defining moment for the next phase of my life because it, there was another charity, there was a charity there who had a live appeal on Islam channel and they said, look, can you present our appeals for us? Mm. That took my TV career off, mm. right? Um, and, and even the, the, the training company, it wasn't even me. They contacted something totally different from the NHS and it went through two or three different loops before it came to me. I think, Alhamdulillah, I think if you have the right intention that you want to you serve people, uh, you know, I think the good things come to you. Mm. And they come with blessings because you're trying to make a difference on <coughs> the people, not just your own life. And if your own life changes as a, as a result of it, alhamdulillah, you know, it changes in this life and hopefully, inshallah, in the hereafter, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So, yeah, you know, success, what is success? We have to define success mm -hmm. because sadly, we always look at success in this life. Um, and if you can make changes in people's life, you know, you know, subhanAllah, talking about Radio Ramadan, you know, 21 years ago, mm. I remember when we first launched. I remember sitting in that studio just where the man is sitting right now. Nobody had a clue what to do. 
and they said it was myself, Noaz, Sajid, and Arun Siddiqui. <laughs> the four of us at six o'clock in the morning, and we hadn't gone live. We went to go live at twelve o'clock the night before, and there's a problem with the adverts or whatever. And say, oh, you, you know, you've done this disc jockey stuff before. You say something. <laughs> so you know, the first thing I wanted to find out was who could hear us. And I remember the fellow saying, Shasa was the first person to call. Where are you, West End? And Matt, I'll tell you, people were crying. Wallahi, people were crying. You could hear them on the phone. Say, this is this is amazing. Mm. You've, you're going to change our lives. And people phone days afterwards. My children's lives have changed. They don't sit on the computer anymore. They're glued to listen to you guys. And we had letters coming in. So, you know, I think we have to, you know, similar to looking at this work, for, uh, you know, idea. We yeah. have to look at things that are going to change our, our community's lives. And not just our community, but the community in, in large. What is it that we're going to do that's going to change people's lives? But, but the mm. people, it's going to be a legacy that you leave behind, you know? But yeah. the fascinating thing, name is, I see people like Ramiz, right, mashallah, you know, they've grown up with a very different internet's been there, you know, everything's, yeah. you know, these sort of things, perhaps they can't imagine the impact those sort of things had, you know, to hear that, you know, first Muslim, you know, voice on radio, because um, now, you know, social media and stuff, everything is so accessible. And they remember, I remember people, I can't remember who, but they were discussing, you know, Whenever a brown face used to come on TV, they'd call the whole family around. Mm. Oh know? yeah, Absolutely, and even if it was yeah. what was that one? Um, yeah, the the language Nate. one. The, oh, oh, mind your language. Oh, mind your language. <laughs> so, so even if it doesn't paint the most, you know, Asian the good light, you know, it, people would get so excited. Oh, there's in uh, Pakistan, your Asian actor on TV, and everybody would get glued to that. You know, it's almost like I remember the that, first you know, ever uh, Indian film. It was Amarak Barantani came on BBC Two, mm. and. I'll tell you, the entire Indian Pakistani community were glued to that channel that night. Is that the one you used to do at 11 p.m. or 2 in the yeah, morning? Yeah, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning yeah, or something. Right. It was phenomenal. Right. It was the first thing. And I think the first time I saw any kind of Islamic inverted music was Nasr Fatali Khan, yeah. Kuali, and it was on BBC2, and it was like, wow, you know, this is just something else. You know, yeah. so there was those little markers in our community that took, took place, subhanAllah. So, Umar, um, Ramiz has a very good question. Remind us, Ramiz, sorry. When you were the, the age that I am now, which is 22, um, if you look back at like what you wanted to do then, do you think you've achieved your goals? Or do you think your life is completely different to what you were expecting at that time? Okay, very good question. I think um, for me personally, um, I think I was fortunate at that age when I graduated to have, uh, to have had the company of some very inspiring and, and good people at university with the Islamic societies that, that were there and a very uh, supportive family. So I think there was, there, was, there was a telltale moment for me just after I graduated. I got a job, I stumbled into a CA training. Uh, I'm a chartered accountant by profession because I did accountancy, so I ended up in that space. But I had a job at um, three times the salary in investment banking and I gave it up to, to go into a CA uh, simply because I thought, you know, I was, I was a bit worried about going to the city. Although I'd worked in London over an internship, I was worried about going to the city, leaving the brothers and the community and, and family. So I thought, oh, okay, if I can delay it by three years, I'll do that. But what I did on my first salary was um, a few months down the road, I don't know why, I just decided I'm going for Hajj um, without any family members, without any friends at all. And um, this was back when Forces was doing the Hajj, which later became uh, <laughs> our, our good friends at Don't uh, Don Tours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it was a defining moment for me, uh, personally. It was for uh, us as well. Uh, I, I think uh, <laughs> uh, you've been like 20 times and it's still not defined. <laughs> um, but it's, 
it, it was for me at that point I, I realized a lot in, in, in life about just two very simple things number one is this this life is very very short mm. right we don't own our lives and whatever good you can do as it says in Surah Al Kabut <coughs> will balance off against the negative things the bad will blot out the, the bad deeds so to me that was a defining thing and I realized from that point onwards and and also in, in terms of my career just just saying no to the money mm. early on allowed me to disconnect from the the prevailing force in society today which is capitalism yeah. most of us don't actually realize it overtly, <coughs> but we do a lot of things and name referred to it earlier as well about about jobs and the mercedes and so on and so forth but if you can dislocate from that from that capitalistic trap consciously or subconsciously all of a sudden you're liberated and you're free to pick things that you want to do and and uh, as Sheikh Ridwan always says whatever you want to do if you do it with the right intention and with the uh, desire to seek perfection excellence ihsan in it then you can go a long way uh, and alhamdulillah that ended up guiding me into uh, ended up working in Islamic finance I became the youngest ever head of a department at Ernest & Young in London being head of Islamic finance and now you know people around the world contact me to advise them, governments, funds, investment banks, everything, to advise them on Islamic finance and banking. And I'm, you know, sometimes you laugh and you think, who are you, you know, kind of mm. thing. And you, you end up sitting, sharing platforms with President, you know, former Prime Minister Mahatma. You're with the Emir of Kanu in, in, in Lagos. You, mm. you, you're with the United Nations. You're, uh, you know, BBC FT come to you for comment. And you just reflect and you think, this, this is a bit comical. But for me, the main thing was to, tr to tie my life, not my day job, because this concept is yeah. false right is to tie your life and the purpose of your life into something meaningful which can only be the akhirah linked mm -hmm. to the akhirah otherwise there's nothing else meaningful in this dunya otherwise Allah subhanahu would never give given even a wing of a, of a mosquito to the kafir so if you see through that and dislocate from this need for money and chase excellence money will chase you and you will survive and alhamdulillah there's been no coming in, in, in my life my family have been extremely supportive. Yes, you've had to sacrifice things, but <coughs> it makes zero difference because you don't actually value the Mercedes or anything else, frankly, afterwards because you realize it's all, all really irrelevant. So in a way, yeah, I think I think now I ended up very much in, in, in a place that I would have thought. There's been plenty of challenges, plenty of shortfalls, plenty of things you wish you could do more of and do better, and you, you take on more challenges as you go through the cycle. But I think from that young age, it's very important because at your age, you graduate, everyone tells you you've got to get a career, you got to make money and you do but you've got to do that to develop yourself yeah. not for financial reasons exclusively but to develop yourself into a person who can can build your own akhirah and serve society <coughs> i would say so that was just my my personal experience um in the journey do you want to talk okay i'll make this quick because i know we've got to go but so uh, yeah just for listeners yeah. we're going to finish at three o'clock we're supposed to finish at two but okay, uh, we'll go for that. another 15 minutes and shall we'll round up and and now we've got the technical side of things working as well. But uh, I think Nurmiza has asked a really good and important question. So another 15 minutes or so, Zanadim. Uh, so what was the question? <laughs> Does anyone listen to the show? The question was, if you look back at yourself when you were my age, 22, um, and what you wanted to do at the time, where you are now, do you think you've achieved your goals or do you think your life is completely different to what you were expecting? Uh, I think I'm I'm um, listening to Naim, and I think I'm I was diametrically opposite, in that at 22 I had a clear plan of the things I wanted, literally down to who I wanted to get married color to, socks. color socks, maybe not quite, but uh, I, I, oh, he did send me a pair of socks in Hoi Polloi, but. Uh, <laughs> 
which I remember, by the way, you brought that name up. That that's brought back a I, I love blast that from the past. Well. Um, but no, I ha- I was uh, I had I think I achieved hundred percent of what I wanted to achieve then. But I say that with the proviso that I, I felt that things were too structured. So I think the first half of my life has literally been, you know, doing things that I felt I had to do. Mm. Now I want to do the things I want to do. Um, and and in fact, when I look back, and I think the things that weren't planned were probably some of the most fulfilling that actually gave me the most joy yeah, yeah. out of life. And um, you know, whereas the other things were things that I felt I really had to do, I had no choice in the matter. So I think that's the thing. I if I if I could go back to that twenty-two-year-old kid, I'd grab him by the neck and say, "Listen, you do have a choice, son. You do. You can do what you want to do." Uh, if that's what you want to do, you don't have to do <clears throat> what is expected of you. And but Alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, I'm happy. I've achieved all of that. <clears throat> but I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to doing other things. Uh, and like uh, Naim says, I mean, the thing about doing things for others um, and something that's going to fulfil other people—that's something. Uh, that I've got a few things in mind. I'm looking forward to that. Dr. Man, you've been kind of dodging the question and passing it on to everyone else, so yeah. it's yeah. time to hear from you. Just so, before that though, so Dr. Buddy, is this, is this like the beginning of a midlife crisis then, that you've done everything for everyone else and now you want to do your own thing? Do you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if that is a midlife, is it, I don't know if that's what you call a midlife crisis, I don't want to buy a Merc. a crisis. I, I don't want to buy a Merc. You're constantly in crisis. But, I, but maybe, you know, but you know, like, the, you know, the, the whole thing about a crisis, in Chinese, it's... Uh, it, it's actually seen as a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's seen as a, also as an opportunity. The word for opportunity in crisis is the same thing, apparently. So I don't know. I think maybe you know I'm thinking like, okay, what do I want to do now with my life. So uh, yeah, it's kind of open ended for me now. I think you get to a stage where yeah. the things you want to do, you got to do them. Yes. Got to yeah. get them out of your system. I mean, I remember yeah. coming back from. I was in holiday, went to southern Spain. And uh, we're flying back. Ended up sitting next to this young kid and his father. I said, "Where were you? Oh, we went to see Tottenham play against Seville." He said, "All right." He said, "You know what? I'm going through a midlife crisis." So, what do you mean? He said, "Always wanted to see Tottenham play abroad." So yeah. this is it. He said, "Always wanted to get a private registration for my car." And I said, "You know, funny. I've got a few things in my head that I need to get done." <laughs> yeah. And he said, "You know what? Do them." Because yeah. otherwise you always regret them. Yeah. Was that was that not your drumming name? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was such a funny so story. I always wanted to drum. I always wanted to play the drums. That was the biggest thing in my life. So I think I booked up. I, I had a lesson. It's on the West End here. Yeah. I went to the shop downstairs. Wallahi, it was the most frustrating <laughs> hour of my life, and I just called it. <laughs> I, you know what? I you tried it. it. I tried, tried it. it. So I, I used to do that yeah. before my Isaac days. So I was a drummer in a band before the Isaac really? days. Yeah, that was that was my like uh, part time work when I was in high school. I used to wow. perform in gigs Brilliant. and stuff. So yeah, I've changed a lot since then. But um, now you play the duff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one side drum though. Yeah. Yeah. I would say though. I would say though that that's mm. fine to do. You know what you, what you want to do. That's that's kind of okay. I get that. But you should be doing that in life anyway. But the most important thing is why. Why are you mm. doing this, right? And that has to have a reference point because very quickly, after seven years of doing what you want to do or five <laughs> years or three years, you're going to get to a point yeah. where this is going to become very circular if the why isn't there, Yeah, you know? And that's the most important piece. I think I think on that mm. one note, the one fortunate thing for me in life, certainly since I left the civil service, I, I've never had a job. Mm. Because for me, it was, and you mentioned this, it was a way of life. Mm. 
everything I've done for the last 10 years was a way of life. I got up in the morning thinking, you know what, this two days are going to be a fantastic day. I'm going to change something in someone's life, whether it was to teach them what Islam was about, whether it was to, you know, the, the charitable sector. So I, I would say that anybody looking back at your age, get into something you want to get up for every single morning and think, you know what, this is fantastic. I want to do this. Otherwise, you you know, you live without regret and you only live once. Make sure that the course you're doing, the, the life that you want, is the one that is going to make you happy. But do you know, you think Dr. Rahman, let's hear from you. Uh, you dodging. I was going to ask another question. Yeah. Okay. Psychiatrists yeah. always want to dodge questions about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that by psychiatrists. They ask other people, they ask them, suddenly, oh, well, I've got to go now. <laughs> no, no, I, I think... I just, no, we want to hear from Dr. Rahman. No, no, that's mm. what I'll give you my tuppence worth. I think it's very interesting to hear what you're saying, Nadim, because I think... There's perhaps there's something about being in professions of, about medicine, but the thing is very linear. So when I was at you know 22, it, it was very structured. I was going to finish my uh, degree because I think it was in fourth year, that fourth fifth year of university, and it would have been okay pursue a career, and that would have taken you say five to ten years, and then you know in that get married. I think the the angst that I had particularly at university was, um, how do I balance what career I do? and carry on because I was involved with community work back mm -hmm. then as well and that was something that I was always struggling with and when I was looking at what professions I was going to you know careers <coughs> going into you know was it GP was that other specialties um, I remember asking a lot of scholars and said what should I go into because I said like I could do GP that'll take me about three years um, you know get trained up and then just work and they'll give me time or if I do a specialty that's going to be ten years of my life on calls in hospitals blah 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 um, and is it worth the balance and then you know some people would say look at the end of those 10 years you could carry and get back into it but uh, Islamic work or whatever and, and I'd always wondered that you know that's a big 10 years of your life what you know are you going to survive those 10 years what's going to happen you know a lot of people I'd seen that said I'm going to focus on career for a few years then I'll come back into it never came back and did stuff mm -hmm. so that that was the real challenge for me what I found Alhamdulillah I mean it's not been easy you know the whole struggle, you, you know, a lot of you will know with exams and when to get married and balancing all of that. Um, you know, it has been a struggle at times, but I mean, I, I've kind of reached this stage, you know, around nearly 40 or... <laughs> uh, is, is things tend, <laughs> I, I mean, th things tend to work out in the end, isn't it? And this is, you know, it's like this, this trust in Allah's bigger plan for you. Because I know a lot of people actually, if you look back and say at the age of 17, did you have any idea of what your options were on the horizon and what you're going to do you know, you kind of got channeled into certain professions and you have no idea even now you think back gosh 17 like even when I know we're making a bit of joke about your age remise but you know I, I always get quite inspired when I see young people that have got done something you know for you guys and it's not to promote you you know sitting in front of you but you know to get up and plan a cycle trip from Scotland to Syria and raise 200 grand is no mean feat you know there's something about and probably a lot of that is blessing of your parents, actually, the way they've raised you, the mm. environment, you know, all of these sort of things. So, but you know, you know, even when I look at when I interviewed, and what one of the fascinating things I found about doing these shows was actually understanding, and a lot of them, um, the people were actually where they've ended up in life is not where they started, you know. And even with you name right, you know, you look at this guy's not got a degree right, he's never read a book in his life, but he's been to Hajj over twenty times, right? He's oh. now, you know, achieved so much. Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, things are, you know, comfortable for you financially, uh, uh, but also where you are, you're doing things that you want to do. You've got certain, you know, you've got, uh, you know, in your field, 
you know, this is a joke. You know, I mentioned it to name and again not to make you big headed. You're very well known for your fundraising, right? Which you're very. You know, good. I was in the evening standard the other week, and the guy introduced me as the Godfather of fundraising. <laughs> so, so, so you're known for your fundraising, right? I was very fortunate to visit Master Luxa, right? So I was sitting there, and we had this uh, hotel, mm-hmm. and I was sitting. There. I think a lot of the Brits go to that hotel, and there's a beautiful view looking at Master Luxa. I was sitting there with, with my wife. And the owner came up, you know, and goes, oh, you start chatting, goes, I've been to Britain. And I said, oh, right, goes, where are you from? I said, Glasgow. And he goes, I'm looking at Mr. Luxa and thinking about the history, the centuries, the crusades. And he goes, do you know Naim Razan? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I said, yeah, I know him very well. And he goes, Mash, so, wallahi, he's one of the best fundraisers in the world. <laughs> right? Because I think he had been coming to Manchester and other places to raise funds for, for Jerusalem, you know. Uh, and a lot of the and so you know is this and look you know you've achieved that things have worked out despite where you started you know and I think for a lot of people even I guess for you and me I'm kind of saying you know if you have that faith and confidence and the sincerity is there you know know, have faith in Allah things will work out and I think what I'm generally somebody who's quite uh, risk averse you know it needs to be quite you know steady stable thought out these big jumps you guys made Sheikh Amr you to Mm. give up this promising career and say actually now Running I'm going to take it seriously <laughs> uh, you know for name to do it for Omar you to leave your job you know and you guys you know that takes a certain degree I don't think I would have done that in age of I, I, I don't know if I would so still are, do that are you where you think where you thought you would have been because I love the way this like so, guy just keeps uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not where I thought I would be but I'm very grateful that things have worked out better than what I where did you think you'd where be where did you think yeah. I thought um, I thought it would be just uh I thought it'd be in a different career. A different career? No, in terms of a different specialty. I was going to do surgery, basically. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. And then there was something about change, and psychiatry appealed to me. And then, and mm-hmm. I, when I started psychiatry, I said, I'll give it six months. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, I'll do GP. Because mm-hmm. psychiatry is one of those specialties, a bit love and hate. Mm-hmm. You either love it or you hate it. Some mm-hmm. doctors, even, they, they find it really difficult. Mm-hmm. And so this aspect, that I found a specialty that I can then see there's a big need in our community as well as the wider community, the stigma all of this so I've kind of fallen into this area which mm. actually and every day is different I get up so you know it's very much that element that I think there's something I can contribute and that I think can help support other areas so that's where I've kind of fallen into that I think if I'd ended up as a surgeon I would have really been struggling at this age to say look I've spent 15 years done <coughs> you know dozens mm. of exams and actually am I doing anything different than any other surgeon could do you yeah. know, I think that's where I perhaps would have struggled it's not to minimise what they do and etc and I think people have got their own priorities but for me so that's what I mean it's kind of turned out okay because at the age of 22 perhaps I wasn't going to go into psychiatry I was just going to do a different I think one of the things about 22 years old right not everybody gets a degree not everybody does well at school and I think a lot of parents sometimes you know sit and struggle to think you know what's my son or daughter going to do mm-hmm. I think one of the things I'd say to young people out there parents listening whose kids are not bright at school you know what there's other opportunities I mean, my, my boy Zen, for example, he did very well at school and then suddenly when he came to his highs, failed. But he still got into college because I liked him. But for whatever reason, went to an interview. But at the end of the year, it took him a little bit longer, but he still got his degree. And now he's not only working, but trying to set his own business up. So young people out there, you know, you might not know what you're going to do in life. Go with the flow. Have the right intention. Work hard and go for something you're going to love. And it'll work out in the end, inshallah. So people shouldn't sit there thinking, you know what, I've mapped this out, it didn't work out for me. Or my son didn't get these exams and all that. We put so much pressure on our children sometimes to get degrees and all the rest of it. You know, we don't even think about their character, the company they're keeping, what else they might be really good at. 
So I think we, we you know we need to have an open. You know, you know, and that's the a, thing a about fight. Way. Everyone's got a talent, Without isn't a doubt, it? And some is. of it will be creative. Some of it will be <coughs> yeah. speaking. Some of it will be just working on your desk, doing stuff yeah. in the background. 100%. Everyone, and, and I guess it's that's what you need to find for yourself. It's I not trying to compare Sheikh yourself. Man, you wrote a, 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 a few notes down there, John. The one word, Sheikh <laughs> The one word is really important. Risk is written for you. It's written for your children. You just need to find out where it's going to come from. I, I was going to say, you know, uh, recently I've been reading a lot about attachment and authenticity. And I think, you know, when we're younger, we have a great need for attachment and doing the right thing so that we have those relationships with people and we're, we're kind of like people pleasers. But there comes a point where you have to be true to yourself and authentic. Now, some guys discover it earlier, and I think the Sheikh and yourself discovered that earlier uh, and very late, late really well he, he really okay but you I know you when i realized what I was gonna end up doing well that really I ended okay up doing something that i enjoyed well that was only about 10 years ago okay up until then i was in a well mashallah that, i mean that's that that's great i mean because i mean for me i i'll be honest you, you know you said you're risk averse and i don't know whether a lot of doctors are like that but I think I probably didn't take enough risks spend their life studying to get there yeah but you know you you get you get you get tracked into a track and you kind of yeah, you, have you, 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 you have to go with it where it takes you uh, but I think this thing about being authentic uh, and I think somebody else was saying about I think it comes back about coming back to yourself uh, there's some kind of circle of life where you come back to yourself come back to what you are um, so I think that that's important and some people maybe get a sense of that earlier yeah okay but so few minutes to three o'clock. I think it's been a really fascinating discussion. I've certainly benefited from it. We've covered so many different topics, from some of the quizzes, from some of the get questions to each other, to this real, you know, great idea about, you know, establishing works and really trying to think about how do we institutionally move the community, you know, forward where we want it to be in the next few decades. I think reflecting on ourselves as well and, I guess, you know, uh, ambitions, etc. in life. Um, I wonder just as we conclude, Sheikh, um, Actually, let's go around to the final few words for people have for the <coughs> listeners and for any reflections. Because, you know, although it's been a bit lighthearted today, you know, it is a bit of sadness that, you know, for many people it's the end of Ramadan, which has been uh, such a blessed month. So maybe just a few words from everyone. Then, Sheikh, if you could just close uh, maybe with a short dua as well. So I'll just start from my right. Uh, Umar, um, any final words for the listeners? I think, um, you know, uh, I, I we have New Year's resolutions, so I always take uh, Ramadan as the opportunity for, for me personally to do my New Year's resolutions. We do our annual zakat and everything during that that month. So uh, I would just encourage everyone to um, uh, start afresh. And it sets you know two things, one or two things that you want to do, one or two things you don't want to do, and uh, <coughs> inshallah go for it. Um, you know we really can uh, use the momentum from this blessed month to to improve ourselves and to. Uh, have a more positive fulfilling life so alhamdulillah uh, looking forward to, to that going forward and really jazakallah to everyone here at Radio Ramadan for the great work you've done mm-hmm. and, and all the workers who are supporting in the mosques at the radio stations everywhere it's a really tough month you know 20 hour fast yet yeah, you guys are up doing programming running back from, from Livingston Ramiz, and, and, and to, to, to be on air so mashallah really really well done to all of you Malasmata accept all of your efforts and inshallah look forward to one day where we all Sit together in Jannah and do a radio program. That would be that would be beautiful. Uh, radio so, Jannah. Yeah, and then then can be in charge of uh, the raising fundraising in Jannah. <laughs> uh, I just want to go off on a tangent. 
as I normally do. Um, I think, you know, my message is, is beyond Ramadan, whatever you do in your life, because we have been talking about life, is to make sure that you leave behind a legacy. That's the intention. And uh, it's actually fantastic to walk in here every year for a day or so, or half a day, or an hour to meet somebody and not actually recognize any of the faces. That's something we built 21 years ago, and you come in here and they don't know who you are, you don't know who they are. So I think, you know, whatever you do, do it with the intention that you're sowing the seeds for somebody else for the next generation or for the year after somebody else is going to take over. And it's a beautiful reminder, one of the, the uh, a man went to a, you know, to a sheikh and he said, don't, he said, I'm going to build a mosque. And the sheikh said, well, what if after you've built the mosque, somebody else says, they built it. How would you feel? So I feel terrible. So don't build it then. So make sure the intention of whatever you're building, whether it's a physical building or a project or whatever you're putting together, you're doing it for the reason that, you know what, it's not only to please Allah, but it's to ensure that the community is served because of it and somebody else will come over and do a better job than I can. So inshallah, I hope that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts our intentions uh, as to the reason why we do these things. And I think we've spoken a lot about service and a change in our community and I think that's one of the biggest things we need to do. We need to put structures in place like Radio Ramadan and other institutes that will not only serve our community but actually produce people. And I think Radio Ramadan itself has produced some phenomenal individuals over the years and I think every year people that get involved, they go away changed, alhamdulillah. I think uh, Naim maybe took some of my point there. So what I was going to say is that... Um, uh, no, that's as a note. says uh, the Eid's timetable, which I'll go through. Actually, Naim, you can do it before we go one last time. Um, but um, a lot of kind of, a lot of different Hadith books, the first page you open up, the first Hadith on it will be that actions are by intentions. And I think when it comes to everything we're doing, what we're talking about here earlier on the show as well, you just need to make sure that that is, you know, intention is everything. Um, intention can make what's seen as a good deed or good act actually be sinful for yourself and vice, you know, you can make what could be seen as a mundane normal act, an act of worship for you as well. Um, and I think that's still the way you'll have true success in life. I know I'm I'm only 22 so I'm not going to tell people how to have a successful life but I think from what I've learned so far as well that intention is the most important thing. No, I just, uh, I just want to say uh, every Ramadan, uh, I mean this Ramadan is just has been amazing for me because I think I'm I feel like I'm a different person coming out of Ramadan than I did sure going in. So, for me, this is... Is that just a weight loss? <laughs> but I, I, it has been something transformative for me. And, you know, now I'm saying about uh, the community. I mean, Radio Ramadan really here, this has been for me a, a real practical example of something that is developing, continuing, that people continue to develop from. So Alhamdulillah, I think, you know, it's, it's always a, a honour for me to be involved in some way. And, uh, you know, uh, and it, it's it's wonderful to see everybody else coming in, you know, people much younger, people actually older as well, uh, I've got to say, you know, uh, learning from them. So Alhamdulillah, what a fantastic resource and what can I say um, let, let's hope that many more of these kind of con- projects continue exactly Sheikh um, final few words from yourself and if you could close uh, with a dua as well but for myself because I'd like your voice to be last on the show exactly care to everyone all the producers everyone else has been helping out um, with the Cradle to the Grave show and with the Desert Island uh, Gems etc and for all the guests and for all the listeners as well. But Sheikh, please, um, final few comments and thoughts and if you could end on a dua. Okay. So, Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. 
the three Ramadan come to an end. We've been obviously discussing lots of things um, over the weekends. We've been me, me and yourself have been talking about many difficult topics. I think, um, and all the other shows, there's been lots of discussion uh, going on. And I would say that uh, with Ramadan, um, and as you're saying that the, it seems so quickly that the month is gone, this is a an indication that um, life is, is is passing, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, is teaching us in every moment that we live if we just pay attention and this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala time and time in the, in the Quran itself tells you to look around yourself, look at creation look at the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put everywhere uh, even in yourselves don't you see even in yourself if you reflect within yourself so there's, there's lessons to be learned everywhere and what we've been talking about tonight is about learning lessons from each other um, and li- life is a, a an ongoing process of, of learning, teaching, learning, teaching, experiencing, falling down, picking yourself back up again, success, failure. It's all part and parcel of growing as a as a human being. But as that is happening, just like a, a like a tree grows or a flower grows, eventually dies, eventually uh, withers away to make space for other flowers to come. And similarly. You know, we're sitting next to a young young person um, who is in the, is the next generation, and one day, inshallah, if he lives long enough, he'll get to our age and we'll move on, and then there'll be other people sitting next to him. At, you know, at the age he is, so this is in part and parcel the the nizam or the system that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has made, and um, one of the most beautiful things I remember that Sheikh Samir uh, actually taught us. I remember he said he said that when you when you when you're wearing clothes. And you need to get new clothes. Why do you need to get new clothes? Because no matter what you wear, eventually the the, the colour will fade. Um, they might get a hole or something might happen and you need to replace it. He goes, if you look in the mirror, as you get older, you'll get white hair. So he goes, everything around you is telling you that nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Your clothes don't last. You don't last. Your hair doesn't last. Nothing lasts forever. Everything's fleeting. And it reminds me of the verse in Surah Rahman, uh, that everything on the earth is diminishing and the countenance of Allah or the essence of Allah will remain and that's the thing that everything is fleeting everything is disappearing and as this month has gone this is another month of Ramadan which is left and in a couple of months, it will be the new year, the Islamic new year. Another new year, year will come in. Another year of our life has passed, and this is a, this is what's going to happen for as long as we're on this earth. And we don't know how long we're here for. It could be a few years, could be a bit more than that. But one thing is is definite: is that I am one month closer to my death than I was before Ramadan. So the time is running out. Time is not on your it's not on your side. It is running out. It's about what you choose to do with that time which is left. Whatever's in the past is gone. You cannot change it. Whatever is coming in the future, we don't know. What you have is the present. And this is why they, they say that you should be a, a Ibn al-Waqt, that you should be a son of your time. In other words, get on and think about what is it that you need to be doing right now. What is it that Allah has asked you to do right now? Whatever's gone is gone. The, the future may come, it may not come. But don't overtly worry too much about the future. Just concentrate on the immediate. What are my immediate responsibilities to God? 
and uh, my religion, and that obviously includes looking after your family and so on. But what are my responsibilities? And just focus on that and everything else. Um, don't uh, give it too much weight because, as you know, um, uh, these things can can weigh you down if you overthink them. And that, and also we, uh, as we leave this month, we have a certain sadness that uh, Ramadan is over. I mean, just now we're in the first of Shawwal. The the actions that we do now are nothing compared to yesterday. Yesterday would have been multiplied multifold. As we know, the shayateen are have been released. There's lots of things which you will uh, feel different uh, from this from from tomorrow, uh, from today and tomorrow. But the important thing is to uh, be appreciative that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave you that opportunity of living to see another Ramadan. You hope and you pray that you'll get the opportunity to see another Ramadan, and you hope, uh, you have this hope that you've, inshallah, been forgiven. One of the reasons or one of the wisdoms of celebrating Eid, they say Eid al-Fitr, is that what are you celebrating? You're celebrating the hope that your sins have been forgiven in Ramadan. And if Allah forgives you, then you have every right to be celebrating. And that's really what our hope is. We have more hope in the generosity of our Creator than our deeds. So we just hope that we've done something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with and He's overlooked our sins. And so uh, departing, just uh, we will depart with the dua that the Prophet taught Sayyidina to Aisha. A very short dua. Everyone should um, learn this dua, make it after every prayer, make it as much as you can. I'll repeat it three times. Uh, many of us have been doing this, but it's a very simple short dua and it sums up um, Allah's, asking Allah's forgiveness. Allahumma innaka afuwan, O Allah. You are the one who uh, wipes out deeds. Uh, you love to do this. You love to wipe out deeds, uh, uh, bad deeds. And therefore, uh, so therefore, just wipe these sins away. Allahumma inna ka'afuwun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu'anni. Allahumma inna ka'afuwun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu'anni. Allahumma inna ka'afuwun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu'anni. And lastly, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to look over our deficiencies as human beings. You always say things, do things which are not um, appropriate. Um, we hope that um, he looks over those deficiencies, accepts our actions. Because it's, like one scholar said, it's not so important the action itself. What's more important is it gets accepted. Because you could do many actions but they don't get accepted. So we always ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for acceptance. And lastly... Um, saying that if we're all going to leave this world we all pray and hope and wish for each other that we have the tawfiq when we depart from this world our last words are La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslim kathira alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin For more information and to listen to more podcasts visit us at arc.score or check out the arc media app 